So they have reached the chamber of despair. I'm impressed. They shall not come any closer. Of course not, Dark One. I have sent talk to... If they do come any closer, Valeria, I will be very angry with you. Dark One, I assure you, they are all doomed. Except the girl. Of course, Master. She will be brought to you. Yes, she will be. Or you will have to answer to me. And I will not forgive a mistake. You have nothing to fear, Dark One. I know. But you do. The evil that has ensnared the world is powerful. Humans can't hope to beat it, even with the best weapons around. Such an overwhelming force for destruction deserves respect. Our very survival is dependent upon its whims. This horrifying organism desires the control of everything. What it cannot control will be destroyed. If only we had a name to give this all-powerful entity. What words can our feeble human minds use that adequately encompass the magnitude of what holds our destinies in its grip? Mom, are you okay? Mom! Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP Gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from rpgamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minkie. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, your favorite show about retro RPGs where we talk about computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. I'm your host, Phil Willis, and our other host, the one, the only, Mike Minky. I'm so awesome that my words just come through Phil's mouth now. He anticipates what needs to be said. Hmm. That's how long we've been doing this together. When we start completing each other's sentences, it's just time to put us out of our misery. Well, you won't sense that too much because of the occasional lag that Skype gives. Thanks, Skype, Yay. for saving our cans. Yeah, Skype, saving, re- saving relationships. Or, or would you say we have a bro saving bromances everywhere, and that uncomfortable that uncomfortable laugh you hear in the background is coming from the one, the only. It says here I have on the forums. Uh, someone says that I continue to butcher your name, and I will continue to do so in the grand tradition that is the RPG backtrack. It's Nathan Schloman. Hello. But Phil just came up with a new way of butchering it. Yeah. By leaving out several letters. Now. 
I mean, okay, nothing will ever be as creative as the way people butchered my name back in high school. <laughs> I just can't. I've been playing Final Fantasy V, and I'm telling you, I love the slow spell, so I figured I'm going to make him a slow man today. Slow spell, go! Yeah, I have to play Final Fantasy V. Isn't it awesome? We'll talk more about it later. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, right now we're going to get to our main event. That's what we do here. We save all of that silly miscellaneous stuff for the final lap at the end. Uh, tonight's main event, we're focusing on Ark the Lad series. We're going all the way from Ark the Lad 1. Well, it wasn't. It was just Ark the Lad. Then on to Ark the Lad 2, Ark the Lad 3, Ark the Lad Twilight of Spirits, and Ark the Lad Edge of Darkness, which rumor has it might be as dark as it sounds. And uh, it might take you to the edge of your sand. Anyway, um, so we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to take a little break. We'll be right back because we got a lot of games to talk about. Uh, Mr. Uh, Miki and Mr. Slowman are all buckled in and ready to go. So hold on tight. Welcome back. We are ready to talk about Ark the Lad. This was uh, this was developed by SCEI. Was that Sony? Right? Is that yeah, Sony? Sony Computer yeah. Entertainment. Entertainment. Might be international. Like, yeah. Might be interactive though. Originally released on the PlayStation and later re-released through the PlayStation Network. Originally uh, as part of the Ark the Lad collection here in North America on April 18, 2002. It was uh, very originally, because I keep using that word originally. <laughs> it was originally originally released in Japan on June 30th, 1995. For its original release. For its original, original release. And uh, then originally released here in North America on April 18, 2002. And then originally. released, just released without no original uh, on the PlayStation Network. But it was originally released on the PlayStation Network. You know, I'm not sure that's the original release, though. For the PlayStation Network, it is. You know, so that was in uh, October. So that was October 12, 2010. So I, I can't help but thinking, like, every seven years we get this game over again. This is a single-player tactical RPG experience. I'm expecting it to come back out in 2017. So I'm seeing a pattern here. 2017-ish, 718-ish. PlayStation we'll 5. In three years. PlayStation 5. But they won't actually update any the graphics or anything because they don't do that. So, uh, Ark the Lad, a tactical RPG. I remember uh, the Ark the Lad collection that came out uh, on the PlayStation. I remember playing it. I remember thinking this isn't nearly as good as Final Fantasy Tactics. And I remember <laughs> taking it back. Uh, okay. 
So yeah, I'm hoping back a working designs game, Phil. You could have kept that and that, owned your yeah. house for a couple of days with the money. It, 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 it <laughs> uh, that is actually very true. Later on, I did notice it on eBay for about four times the original price, and regretted taking it back to the store. This was back in the day, I think, when they were still taking returns at whatever EB Games was called at the time, GameStop or whatever. Believe it or not, boys and girls, it used to be if you bought a game and you didn't like it and you took it back, they would actually you know, give you that retail price back as long as you did it within like 10 days or something. So, of course, people abused it, took it home, beat the game, bring it back, and then eventually when they got uh, corporately bought out uh, by a bigger chain, uh, that's when they stopped doing it. So, anywho, but we digress. Let's stay focused on what's important here, and that is the old-fashioned RPGs. I'm hoping you guys can tell me tonight whether or not I should go back and play because I did eventually get it through the PlayStation Network, and I've been plugging away at one, and I've got some thoughts about that, but I want to hear your thoughts first. Okay, first off, can I say that, quick question, I may be wrong, but wasn't more or less a launch title for the PS1 in Japan? Pretty close. I know the PS1 came out in uh, late 94 in Japan, so for this to come out in, uh, I think, wasn't it July of 95? Yeah. That's pretty close to launch. That's pretty close to launch, and you know, there's a reason you don't normally see RPGs that close to launch on a console. <laughs> this game's kind of why, because this is Ark the Lad, which is certainly one of the most rushed RPGs I've ever seen. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let's start with the title. I'm always wondering, why is he a lad? He looks, he's supposed to be a man, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's, I think, late teenager or something. It's a little vague. I need to, I'm not yeah, going to specify exactly his age. He's apparently Ark, the lad. Yes. No one actually calls him this in game. He's just Ark, or Ark of Tovin. Or... Okay, the craziest thing is that Ark actually, ha- the main character, they always refer to himself, he always calls himself Ark of Tovil. Everyone calls him Ark of Tovil Until, like, the nearly the very end of the game where they finally give him a last name, out of nowhere. Is it Lad? No. <laughs> it's actually a rather long one. You knew I was going to say that, right? Yeah, yeah because, because um, well, we're all about the spoilers. His father was in line for the throne of the country but just had just didn't want to do it for whatever reason so his father went off on some quest and that means that ark's uncle is the king you'd think yeah. this would have come up in some conversation hey ark you know your uncle the king no one ever mentions that oh well the thing is that ark himself doesn't know that he's the crown prince until he just finds out part of the, end of the game but the interesting thing is that but ark you think his actually... uncle knows well, his uncle actually doesn't know. I think Ark was born after his father left uh, the kingdom and vanished. But so... Yeah, the basic thing is that, you know, Ark doesn't know he's actually re- royalty, but he finds out, and it doesn't faze him. He just mentions this offhand, like, it's like, oh, hey, I learned I happened to be your nephew. And, like, it's like he doesn't even care to him at all. Because that's the kind of thing that... Okay, I'll just sum this up. This is a very strangely paced RPG in the fact that it just blazes through things at lightning speed, especially now, early on. Now, you, you'll be happy to know that I have set aside 65 minutes for you guys to discuss the deep story of Ark the Lad. <laughs> As everyone knows, launch RPGs contain such intricate narratives that they must receive this amount of time. Final Fantasy VII, launch RPG, it was oh, so wasn't? deep, I uh, couldn't understand it. That came out three years after the PlayStation I'm was launched in Japan. Pretty sure. Well, I'm talking about here. Wasn't it released pretty close to our release date or something? Yeah. Oh, you know what? For me, as far as I'm concerned, the PlayStation wasn't launched until PlayStation Seven was because that's when I started caring. Yeah, so yeah. That's that, I'm with Nathan on this. All I know is I bought a Wait, PlayStation I, I One when Final Fantasy Seven came out. Then, 
then where are all these people who were swearing that they've played Beyond the Beyond? What's Beyond the Beyond? Yeah, what is this Beyond you speak of? <laughs> it's Beyond. The I'm, Beyond. Pretty, I'm pretty sure that got erased from RPG history, so people don't want to admit that it really, you know, happened. Or, or Persona 1? Mm, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Okay. Yeah, no one <laughs> until 4. Uh, Not even that's the too first funny. Wild Arms? You know, I started that series too. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know there were RPGs on the PlayStation before Final Fantasy VII. Just, yeah, not many of them here. And for some reason, the ones that did are not highly regarded now. I can't imagine why. Anyway. Anyways, back to Arcolet. It The thing that this game is... Okay, I guess I'll sum up its plot. Basically, in the very beginning... Uh, in the very beginning, the Shrine Maiden Kukuru is basically sent off on her task to become the protector of a ancient flame that's burned for like 3,000 years. No, wait. She, she becomes... She takes on that task after she just decides, you know what? You've scheduled me to marry some guy I've never met before, and I'm not going to do that. Well, more or less, it's basically she's supposed to go up to the flame because she's about to be sent off to be married to some guy yeah. she doesn't know. Who, actually, as far as I'm aware, this, the person she's sent off to marry doesn't actually exist. But that's a different story. <laughs> well, maybe he does exist. We just never needed to meet him or even know his name or anything about him because yeah. Kukuru didn't care. Yeah, so, yeah. So she's unhappy about this, so she's sent up to this flame that she's supposed to be protecting, and she, well, snuffs it out because she just doesn't like her life and her role in it. And this kind of unleashes a horrible demon called the Ark Ghoul. Yeah. Which well, Ark, kind of goes... who is also wandering around the mountain, happens to find, and it beats the tar yeah, out of him. Basically, yeah, basically, Ark, they're spelled differently, but it's Ark meets the Ark Ghoul, and Ark Ghoul basically guts him. Then he is saved by the Guardians, who apparently made his pact with his father, who supposedly died, and he was trying to find out what happened to all that. And thus, he comes back with miraculous powers that aren't very well explained, other the fact that he gets cool magic. And he comes down the mountain, he manages to reignite the flame, making the Ark Ghoul go away, and he begins his journey to find out what the heck is going on, because these beings called the Guardians are asking me to save the world. Which, yeah. of course, involves tracking all of them down around the world. So that yeah, they can tracking down their all power. the... Yeah. So, basically, off the kingdom, he starts meeting people, gathers his party very quickly, for the most part, and you start world-hopping around, basically dragged along by all forms of ridiculous circumstance. Like, there are times where, like, four or five times in the game, you... You try to say, where should we go now? And they ask, let's ask the magic stone. You pull out the magic stone and it tells you where to go. This happens four times. Another time is, we have no idea where it's going. Then suddenly the mailman shows up, hands you a letter, and walks off. And you eat the letter, and it tells you exactly what you need to do. Never mind that this mailman is delivering this letter to a, to a village which just got destroyed with all of its people kidnapped. And the postman doesn't even blink. I mean... Almost every single ridiculous thing you can think of which can move a forward a plot happens in this game. And that's all that happened. Yeah, un- until the ending, which is just a setup for Ark the Lad 2. Yeah, basically. Which is... I-, I-, I love... You have an airship at your beck and call because of the king's orders. Uh, mm-hmm. The king gets killed at the end. Yep. Again, this is a short game. You can find this out for yourself in about nine hours if you... Uh, yeah. And the airship pilot, whose name is Chopin, by the way... Whether that was an intentional reference to the composer, I have no idea. But you just run out of there, run out of the exploding castle, and he asks no questions whatsoever. He just takes you on your merry way again because, by gum, that's his job, and he's really good at it, and he doesn't he doesn't give a flying whatever about any circumstances like the guy who gave him the job in the first place just got killed. That's, mo- yeah. that's completely in- irrelevant. 
And also, this entire time, the basic thing you're trying to stop is basically the Guardians are bad, are unhappy because, you know, people don't like them. And it's basically you're fighting against atheism and environmental pollution. That's the enemy you have to defeat with swords and explosive spells. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense, and it comes across as just kind of lame and preachy. It, it just... And it ends with the guy you kind of thought was the villain all along re- revealing himself. Ha ha ha, I am yes. a villain working for and an somehow outside nation. Somehow all of these problems are apparently somehow, you know, okay, your enemy is pollution, environment, and global warming, and apathy. What you have to do is fight, well, Saturday Physical morning cartoon themes. villains. I mean, you are able to stop apathy among the public by fighting tangible things. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a, an, un, an unseen television screen that everybody can watch and get pumped up at your battles. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. So, yeah, the plot doesn't make sense. Kukuru near the beginning loudly says to Ark, you know, I'm just because you saved me, I don't feel anything for you. And then near the end she kind of seems to feel something for him, but uh Yeah, basically it's stereotypical tsundere. Yeah. But like what little characterization she gets because everyone gets kinda of little characterization with Did I say this game is short? <laughs> it's short. Though then again, we are supposed to be judging it by the standards of nineteen ninety five. It's short. No, I'm, I'm okay, talking about this game came out after Final Fantasy VI. I can expect that. <laughs> Final, it, it came out after Dragon Quest IV, which took me like 35, 40 hours to be back on the NES days. It came out the same yeah. year as Dragon Quest VI. Yeah, it's short. But I mean, we uh, haven't we haven't started talking about the game though. Yeah, okay, we, we want to like, quickly run through the characters because that won't take. Yeah, long. characters. Yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah, we got Ark, the main character, who uses spirit magic to blow stuff up and heal people, basically. They've got Kukuru, the shrine maiden, who heals people and has some pretty darn powerful holy attack spells, actually. She does, uh, but watch out, because her defense seems to take a massive dive really fast, so keep her Yeah, alive. it's like, you know, very early in the game, she can punch things and survive hits. Like, a little bit later in the game, she can't. But on the other hand, she can destroy everything with divide spell and heal your whole party in the process. It's kind of cool. It is. Uh, We've got Poco. Then you've got um, Poco, the... the Soldier who's basically a one-man band with all kinds of crazy instruments do things like buff your party and stuff. And seems he to kind be, of sucks in this. He really based sucks. on his characterization, he seems to be what nine, ten years old. Yeah, uh, he he just falls over and is hungry all the time. That's his characterization. And he has a really big hat. Yeah. Uh, but hey, got... marching band soldier. Why not? Yeah. Any, anybody who pulls out a pair of cymbals to slam into an enemy's head—that's he gets he gets bravery points from me. Yeah. Uh, uh, then you get the, the next is Tosh the. Yes, a samurai drunken warrior guy. Well, works for me. I'm not sure. He certainly seems to have fun for alcohol in this dialogue. The kind of an odd way. Anyways, samurai who basically cuts everything up and is kind of ludicrously overpowered in the Arcalad one. And like he moves faster than everyone. He moves further than everyone. He hits harder than everyone. He dodges better than everyone. He's and, got crappy magic resistance, but that's it. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Next is Iga. The oh yes, the monk. The monk warrior who, well, he basically punches everything in a wide area. Yeah, Generally, you, you remember Yang from Final Fantasy IV? He's, he's slightly that. more developed here. Slightly. Yeah, slightly. Well, it, it's mostly because working designs, as usual, gives a pretty good translation that gives well, life to the dialogue. Well, you know, the translation, I won't call it good in this game, honestly. I, if I'm comparing it to Final Fantasy IV's original translation, it is. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know... It's got its issues. It's okay. It's definitely pretty good at the time compared to some other contemporary PS1 translations. That I'll get a bit of that. But, you know, this is a translation I enjoy a lot less than, say, their Lunar translations for working designs. Fair enough. Um, then there's Chongara, 
Jungara who's funky, you know, funky goofy. Accent. He is the offensive Middle Eastern stereotype. <laughs> that sums up Shungara. This and he does offensive Middle Eastern stereotype, and you've got him. He does not reappear as a combat character in the second game, and considering how weak he is here, that's probably a good thing. You know, actually, he's actually pretty darn useful in this game, considering he's got, he can summon up an infinite number of minions from his past. He can do things like heal your party and make floors and attack enemies and such. And he actually has the most powerful attack in the game. It's just utterly useless because how hard it is to set up. Yeah, and getting him levels in the first place so that he will survive more than one enemy attack is a pain. Yeah, okay, if you actually level him up using the King's Icon or King's Crest or whatever it's called, you can actually be a decent physical fighter, but, you know, at, that's the expense of leveling up his summons, and the summons are actually his main power. And, you know, basically, leveling up in this game sucks. <laughs> I'll just say that. This game is it's short, its story is not there, and it's a constant grind. This game loves to grind. Everything in this wait, game... Wait, wait, one, one more Every character. side quest, the giant excuse to grind. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah. Wait, the mage. wait a minute. He blows it, stuff up. Is everything... he's, he's also several thousand years old and somehow got stuck in a tree. Yeah. Is well, everything no, is everything really no. designed for you to grind? I mean, I remember running into this one dungeon that didn't seem to have a bottom. It just went floor after floor <laughs> after floor. Certainly, that wasn't for grinding. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's... No, I mean, that was actually, actually not for was. grinding. That's for... <laughs> you have to be okay. strong enough to survive a little while in there, and then you go in and... Uh... Yeah, okay, the basic thing about that dungeon is that, you know... Go in there at 35, and you walk in. At the, by the bottom, you'll be at the level cap. And it, it takes, like, six hours, and you can't save or stop the game in this process. So you need to do this entire thing in a single run and hope you don't die in there. Which you can be a problem, considering the enemies at the bottom are stronger than the final boss. Yeah, let's just say... There are four arc ghouls on one floor in there. Four but if you don't there. do this, if then you can't complete a certain side quest in the second game, as I found out the hard way. Oh, really? I'm, well, yeah, I'm glad well, I did this one, then. Well, well, we'll get to that. But yeah, actually, I actually did this. It's actually the only... Going to the bottom of the Forbidden Dungeon is actually the most fun I actually had in an Arbalad one, because, you know, it stopped being grinding, it stopped being the plot, it just let's just have some gameplay here, and go crazy with the overpowered characters, and not care about level balance, and just get to the bottom of this thing. It was an interesting, fun challenge. The, the one good thing in this game, because, you know what? Otherwise, this game is kind of easy. It's, well, okay, if you're le- enough, sufficiently leveled, it's easy. if you're not sufficiently leveled, you need to grind. And that's the basically yes. the only two states. Uh, if you suddenly find that the enemies are hitting you really hard and you need to stay in a turtle shell formation to avoid death, then it's time to grind. Yeah, because, you know, this game, you know, you can, you can, the first time I played it, I breezed right through it up until the point where you go to the Fire Garden chapter. Because at that, suddenly there's a dramatic level spike, and enemies murder you. So either you've done enough grinding, or you haven't. And Well, as long as we're on to this, we should mention that uh, combat here looks pretty much like your standard tactical RPG, with a few differences. Yeah, well, running good sprite work. This game has good sprite work. It does. I, I think the second one has even more impressive sprite work, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, the ability to just attack without going into a menu, that's not something you see very often in tactical games. Yeah, it's got a pretty smooth interface, too. I mean, it gets... Well, it's okay, I guess. I mean, you can just hit square to bring up the items, hit circle to bring up your abilities, or just hit X and you'll attack. Works pretty yeah. well. And it usually just flashes a target saying that, yes, you are in range and can attack if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't move through each other magically like you can in a lot of tactical RPGs. You, you have, have to... You, yeah, be careful jump about people. jump over people, and you have to have sufficient jump skill to do so. So, like, if you only have a jump skill of one, you can't. You can jump over ledges, but you can't jump over pe- your allies. 
It requires a lot of consideration. Yeah, and... Um, it's actually a really simplistic battle system as a whole. It's just move up and attack for your, most characters. And it, but most abilities are either kind of useless or really overpowered. It's pretty clear which ones are which. With the exception of Paralyze, that's actually a really good ability in this game because it basically works in, It works perfectly successfully even against the game's ultimate super boss. And that's the best way to beat the ultimate super boss. So, Paralyze. And I didn't take on because I didn't go down to the bottom of the ancient runes. Yeah, because that's... You know, I don't... It takes six hours, and it's really, it's really long, and my eyes really hurt by the end of it. But I did it. I might have done it if I'd known what I was missing out on in the second one, but going back and... Well, we'll get to that. But I'll just yeah. say this. With this this fairly streamlined interface and the speed with which you can do things means that battles tend to fly by much faster than in most title games. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, it's not as tactic as the problem. No, not really. Although... There is some strategy in that you kind of want to aim for the back and the sides if possible. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. You want to get aim behind back and sides and definitely and stuff like that. And allies can be pretty fragile and you want to use buffs and such. So there's some depth there, but this is also the game where, you know, you know how it's better to attack from the back? This is the game where the AI is guaranteed to move to the front of your strongest character and attack them. They don't move to your weakest characters. They don't move to the back of a character. They move to the front of your strongest characters. Yes, they do. And you can count on the AI in this game being pretty stupid. Uh, well, I don't remember any glaring stupidities like I just... Actually, maybe I do remember a blatant example of I just used a massive attack spell and this enemy at the far edge of it just wanders off and decides to stare off into space instead of counterattacking me. But... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, some enemies like slimes just move randomly, and if they run into you, then they'll attack. If not, they'll just do nothing. Yeah, uh, still, considering what the third game's AI would be like, I can't say this is the worst AI in the series, but we'll get there. Um, so yeah, basically yeah. this game is very grindy. I mean, there's a lot, of, not much story. There's going to be some fun to be had there in the big ultimate dungeon, but otherwise it's a 20-hour game, which is pretty forgettable. Actually, really just not that great. I'll say. That's only I'll 20 play. hours if you go for the entirety of the ancient ruins. If you don't, like I didn't think I racked up 13. Yeah, it depends on how you go through it. There's a lot of different side stuff to do, but you know, a lot of it's pretty grindy. I think there's something like fight hundreds of different optional battles in the arena, and you know, the reset in each one's pretty slow. Transitions between different areas in this game are pretty slow, so it takes a while to do stuff. And I'm sure working designs... Uh, slowed that down a little bit because Working Designs was the kind of company that would try that. So just imagine how bad they would have been for the Japanese gamers in 1995. Yeah. Uh... Art the Lad, now going slower so you can have an improved <laughs> gameplay time. Tired of games you can beat in 10 hours? Wait till you play our game. It takes 20 hours. How do we do it, you may ask? Adding more content? We think not. <laughs> yeah, okay, also, there's two things I need to mention about this game. One, I... Originally, you this is a game where you can change characters' equipment mid-battle. I wish I knew this. Because, you know, I always thought you can change it at the beginning of the fights when it gives you the prompt, oh, hey, do you want to change this equipment? But no, you can actually change it mid-battle well, at any time. And even use that way you can change the equipment of summons, which I did not know. The thing is, like, you know, most of the actual accessories you can equip in this game are found inside that one ancient rune dive, you have to go through, which I did through in one yeah. go. So I went the entire thing without using the best accessories in the game. <laughs> Also, accessories are the only things you can change. You can't change any other equipment. Yeah, it's actually a pretty streamlined equipment system. I actually kind of like this equipment system. Uh, at the same time, it's not very deep, but it, hey, there's a lot of, it gives you a lot of crazy options. So. It does. 
which I probably would have seen more of if I'd gone through the ancient ruins. Because yeah, there, are, cool there are no stuff. stores in this game. None. There are no stores, there is no money, there's no ability to buy healing items. It's just pick up what you find off the battles. Some people might call that Elver simplistic. We call it streamlined. Well, I can forgive it, if not necessarily recommended on that basis, because you know what? It came out less than a year after the system was introduced, and I don't expect my RPGs to attain everything that could possibly be done on the hardware that early. Shining Force had more depth. It did. <laughs> and that came out a good three years into the Genesis's life cycle. Shoot. All right, all right, uh, Shining Force is probably one of the best comparisons you make for how this game plays. It's got the kind of, well, basically, turns come up based off of agility. Basically, people, your, your turn pops up for a character, and you have to just move that character by walking around the kind of glowing field area. Yeah. Sorry, I'm probably rambling here. Now, I'll tell you about the, the one positive aspect that stood out for me, because, I mean, for the most part, so far, I pretty much agree with y'all. It's a, it's a short game. It, it, There's just so many things about it that just really didn't do much for me, and it's the reason why I put it down the first... <laughs> I took it back to the store the first time and put it down the second time. But there is yeah. one, one really good quality that totally, totally wowed me when I was playing it, and that was the, the, the graphics and the anima- or the animation. I mean, the characters are pretty well-detailed sprites, and they have cute little animations and when they fight and There's stuff. There's something I want to mention here. Whenever you're about to go into a destination, instead of you seeing the world map, you see a zoomed-in part of the world map, and for the rest of the screen, you get to see your characters just running around, hor- horsing around, doing silly things. Like, Gogan flies on a magic broomstick, so he'll usually be zooming around. It's nothing much, but it's cute. I liked seeing that. Yeah. I mean, this was a day... This was... I, I mean... This reminds me of how crazy the plot is. Sorry, but just thinking about how Gogan doing silly stuff is like, you know, this is a plot point. At one point, they say, oh, hey, we have this item. We know... We spent all of this effort to get it. We have no idea why we want it. So Gogan just kind of spins on staff like a soccer ball and then breaks it, and that moves the plot. Whoa. Yes, uh, that, that's right after you go through the arena in order to get uh, the water stone, the wind stones, the something the wind stone. stone. The wind orb. I mean, that's it. Yes, the wind you're, orb. You're, you're looking for the wind stone. You have to suffer to get the wind orb. There's absolutely no reason to believe there's any connection between the two. <laughs> Yet the players go through, the characters go through this all anyways. And then when you win, Gogan just kind of Obviously, this wind orb is useless to it. I'm sorry. Obviously, this wind orb is useless to us, so let's see what happens if I rattle it around a little. Oops, it broke. Out pops the wind elemental. Oh, I was lucky. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, the, the animation is super pretty, and I mean, I've often said on the show that the PlayStation 1, they're kind of pushing the, 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 the 3D graphics too quickly. Um, because they they just look yeah. horrid and they don't age well at all. Uh, and I'm thinking of like also like Vandal Hearts. It's one of my favorite tactical games. But gosh, dang those little pixelated graphics they're trying to do on top of 3D backgrounds just look absolutely atrocious. But this game just I mean, which came out before Vandal Hearts, just looks you know still uh, it's just really really cute. I love the character animation when they fight yeah. when the girl does her kung fu moves and stuff. I mean, it's just all well well done. Yeah, it's a game which it's animated well looks great. Especially for its time, you know? I well, can't yeah, fault it for that at all. Especially if we consider how it would have looked if SCEI had decided to do it in 3D. Ugh. <laughs> oh, you might have You might have characters with no faces. <laughs> oh, Don't mind me. me. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no! Yeah, these are... I, I don't know if the Super Nintendo couldn't have done these, but these were, look like 
upper scale Super Nintendo sprite graphics. And yeah, I think the upper scale Super Nintendo sprite graphics are actually far more frames of animation than SNES. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. definitely. That's I mean yeah, they're they're definitely more frames of animation and and more detail than you saw in Final Fantasy VI which did an excellent job with what it was given at the time. And that's where I really felt like the PlayStation 1 would have just, you know, would have had a lot more memorable graphics and stuff had they just did that, focus on pushing 2D further with better animation and bigger sprites. But anywho, uh, what about the sound? That's taking us back to an era when 3D graphics were everything. Everything, yes. And people without faces ruled the planet. Anyway, so uh, what about the sound? sound? Yeah, Sound, um, you know, it's got there Japanese were, voice clips, which I don't understand. And, hearing. <laughs> yeah, including the bad English. English. A lot of bad English is still attacked. And although honestly, they sound generally appropriate to the character. Yeah, they do. The voices are pretty good, actually. Just not English. Yeah, and, I think that's just because they're all they're only in battle, so working designs didn't figure it was. Yeah, and here, there's also well, there's a couple of good songs in this game, like. The song theme basically used for the hero's father, Prox's father, is pretty good, actually. But I, I really like the tune for uh, the, the Needle Continent. Yeah, the, the Needle Continent, and I think also the, well, Chunkara's home, well, the Middle Eastern continent. Repo. And while, a couple while of really I, don't remember, to... I don't remember any of them right now, so that I can spout off names, but I remember the battle themes not repelling me. Pleasant enough at the time. Yeah, there's nothing... There's nothing bad in the game. There's a few good tracks. I mean, I won't say there's a lot that's memorable, but there's a few good pieces. And frankly, for the size of the game, the score is pretty impressive. Yeah. There's a there's a good number of tracks. Not all of them are yeah, memorable. A, yeah, there's a pretty nice range of music for a short, such a short game. Hmm. Although you will have a chance to hear many of them in the second game. Yeah. <laughs> You'll see a lot of similar things in the second game. But one final thing I want to mention about the game, though, before I'm done talking about it, is that, you know, I went to the bottom of this incredibly deep ancient dungeon that took me hours. It was really hard. And at the end of it, I had to beat the super boss, who kind of spooked me a couple of times there, because she nearly one-shotted my characters with her... Okay, the final... The ultimate boss at the bottom of this giant dungeon is a little girl. Just it's a little Choco, girl right? pink and red what? Yeah, Choco. <laughs> she's also... She's, you know, she looks harmless, and she's hilariously powerful. In fact, she can basically, two, in two hits, take down any of your strongest warriors with a kind of swift little groin kick. Yeah, that's her. And, and when you finally beat her, and there, she'll actually join you as a summon that Chunkara can pull out. With the horrifying little caveat that she will never actually it won't be summonable in anywhere except a handful of small grinding areas you can go back to that I have no reason to go ever go back to if you can actually reach her. So basically, she, she get, beating her gives you ultimate power. She can beat anything that you can only use in places matter. where you don't need it. Yes, <laughs> it's a horrifyingly insulting thing to do. Uh, I'll, I'll explain how that links into the second game, but. Um... There, there is one thing I would like to mention, which is that the final boss of this game is surprisingly easy. It's just copies of all of your characters, and since you will probably be faster than you can use multi-target spells to wail on them yeah. really hard first and take most of them out before they can do anything. Yeah, basically. I, I, ki- I killed the final boss of this game in about two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I was ridiculously overpowered at the time, but even so, it was... <laughs> And then that leaves you with uh, Andil, the supreme bad guy who has revealed himself to be the supreme bad guy, instead of just the corrupt minister in the government that you thought he was. And uh, 
he's gotten the Ark, which he proceeds oh, to okay. open. And Ark is Ark, not the Ark, the character Ark, is labeled a criminal for killing the king because the king is dead now. Yeah, and you know his his criminalness is sprayed across the giant TV screen in the middle of the modern city, which is you know okay. This is game is its setting is weird. The very first the very first scene you you know the very first scene is you know oh hey this is a, mo- a stereotypical village in a medieval fantasy world that made sense. You go to the castle. Oh, it's okay. I guess this castle kind of a more Japanese castle, which still looks kind of clearly medieval. Okay, then you send get off to an area where you see people carrying AK-47s on their back. Like, who are currently fighting something akin to the, I don't know, the Vietnam War or something. It's like, huh? And, okay, basically, this game is set in... Nope. Kind of lost Nathan there for a second. We'll get him right back. Uh, yeah, it, it said you, the game was set when? It's set in more or less an analog of the real world circa early 20th century. Basically, that's where the technology is. And that's what everyone's society is. They've got radios. They've got TVs. They've got guns. Yeah, the airship. But you wouldn't you know it by pointing this the, the airship looks kind of like something that somebody from Jules Verne's time might have just dreamed up and then tried to actually build. Yeah, but again, it's like it, it takes you an awful long time in the game before it's actually kind of clear that oh, hey, this is actually in the modern world, not some old medieval fantasy world. Yeah, Ark just lived in the back of beyond. Yeah. Well, we could talk about this one some more, but you know, we're probably going to reference it a lot when we talk about the second game. So. Hmm, so we're ready to push on. We're ready to take our game to another level. We're ready to talk about Ark the Lad 2. This was developed by SCEI and Ark Entertainment, and it was uh, published uh, here in North America by Working Designs, released on your PlayStation 1 system in North America, April 18, 2002, again, part of that collection. But originally, originally in Japan, June 20th, 1996, and later on re-released on the PlayStation Network November 23rd, 2010. This is a single-player tactical RPG experience. But is it twice as good or mediocre or whatever as the first? It's, actually, it's, you know, it's more than twice as big. That's easy to say. Yeah, it's... Okay, basically, here's my opinions of Arctolab 2. I, when I first was playing these games, I was playing Arctolab 1, and you know what? It's a short game, but it overstayed its welcome. 20 hours in, I, like 10 hours into it, I was sick of it. I didn't want to grind. So, you know, I bought this whole trilogy. Maybe I'll just throw in the second game and see what that looks like just to distract me. And I didn't stop playing it. I never went back to the original Arctolab 1. I just kept playing Arctolab 2 because it's a lot better of a game, especially in its early impressions. In just every conceivable way. Well, let's see. We might as well start with the story. You initially take up the mantle of young Elk, a hunter. And it's spelled E-L-C, not E-L-K, but that won't stop people from making certain animal jokes. So let's let's all giggle over it right now. <laughs> His name's Elk. <laughs> giggity, giggity, giggity. Giggity, And young Elk, before he was a hunter, he lived in some isolated village and was which was attacked by the evil Romalian Empire. Is it an, yeah, it was an empire, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the a, Romalian Empire. As a child, Elk revealed that he has formidable power of flame on his side, which caught the Romalians' interest, and they dragged him off to be part of their sinister experimental laboratory where they attempt to create extremely powerful and destructive monsters by fusing them with humans who have unnatural abilities. But Elk escaped, and now he's a hunter. And even though he's pretty young if you look at his official artwork he actually talks in the dialogue like somebody who gets things done he doesn't talk like an, ex- an inexperienced novice this is a guy who knows what he's doing he's a veteran which is refreshing to play something where yeah I, 
Alex is an awesome character. He is. And his first mission involves tracking down somebody who's just assaulted an airport. Yeah, basically stop the terrorist who's hijacking in an airport and trying to cause the... And while doing that, he happens to meet a young girl named Lisa. Lisa? Lisa. Sure, Lisa. This is what happens when I don't when I didn't watch the anime and nobody yeah. ever says her name in the game. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's called Lisa. So it's kind of... She is a remarkably trusting and placid woman considering all the crap she's had to go through because she can talk to the animals. Literally. She talks to monsters and they talk yeah, right she's back. she's got Pondit, her little blue dog friend who's ridiculously powerful and a good ally. Yes, and has uh, an image... <laughs> an ill... Uh, an animation, there we go, that uh, probably would have been censored on a Nintendo console when, when <laughs> he casts a, a spell. Yeah, it's ridiculous an animation. But... It, all you need to do is picture what a dog does when it's trying to mark its territory, and you've got it. Elk takes charge of Lieza, and eventually they come and meet his good friend Shu, another hunter. And Shu, yeah, Shu lo- looks kind of is... cute in with his <laughs> super deformed sprite, but he is a ninja. He's a ninja, an incredibly badass ninja whose main weapons involve kicking things or pulling out his machine guns and shotguns. Yes, do not mess with Shu. He will mess you up, but good. Yeah, just, Elk and Shu are such a great team. Play off each other well, and just they're both incredibly professional, good, good guys who do a lot of awesome stuff. I mean, like Shu has got the most refreshing video game hero recruitment method ever. It's like basically. You show up in his house trying to kind of injure Lies, trying to get help, and he says, "Oh, hey, sure, I'll help. You're my friend." And that's it. Yeah. It's like he's just like, "Oh, I can't help you right now because I've got work, but as soon as I'm done, I'm going to join you and help you out." And he does. And and he's that's... he's definitely worth having. Yeah. Um. And eventually, they are joined by Shante, who is the older sister of the terrorist Elk had to bring down in the opening mission. And Shante is pretty cool too. She's a nightclub singer. Yeah. I mean. Gameplay-wise, she's all she is is a healer, so she can be kind of useless. But since Leza can also oh, heal and do a lot more cool stuff, but oh, Shantae was vital for me. But we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> just just the sight of her animations alone is pretty cool. She uses pretty she uses the uh, the boot weapons and she uses sticks and um, something Canes. else. I think she uses sticks and staffs. Those are different weapons. But... They are. Yes, can- sticks have a much bigger range lowered attack power. I yeah, think. that's a kind of cool thing I like with this game. Some some weapons hit just in front of you, some hit two squares ahead of you, some hit in a wide, three square wide area in front of you, and then there's guns shooting a whole cone in front of you. Just yeah. all kinds of cool useful stuff. But, but Shantae's animation for her criticals when she's using the boots, that's just awesome. <laughs> First she yeah. does some kicking, then she leaps into the air to plant multiple air kicks on the enemy, and then she lands on the ground, takes off her shoe, and whacks it on the head of the enemy. Yeah. Uh, a, most attack animations in this game can be pretty darn fun. I mean, there's Shu who, like, one of his attacks, it's random attack, where, you know, he just picks up various guns and starts going wild all in every direction around him. As he levels up, the animation kind of changes, so he actually starts pulling out a giant Gatling gun and kind of swinging it left and right around the enemies around him. It's, they're fun. That's why his critical animations when he's got a gun are just a sight to behold. Yeah. Shu is awesome. Um, so let's see, those, those are the early fo- characters, because... Not long after everybody has been assembled, a certain airship is spotted. And Elk, in the one instance when I think he goes completely off the rails to the point where I wondered what the writers were thinking, instantly thinks, this airship, because it was at my home village when I was taken by those evil Romalian jerks, has to be piloted by the same people now. 
So he goes off on a homicidal rage, taking his he, own little airship to chase it. And to the point where his own little airship explodes, more or less. Yeah. And it, He's beyond reason. Yeah. And that leads into the division of the team. His his ship crashes on an isolated isle in the ocean with the isolated Yakos Island. Shu winds up somewhere else with Shante, but they split up again eventually, and for a while you actually get the game shifting between multiple narratives. No, actually, the shifting between multiple narratives happens later. For this point, it's just mostly just eloquently as you do the little thing of encountering the robot Diekbeck on that island, yanking him out of the wall and finding his power unit, which eventually you get to recruit, you know, robots, who is called Diekbeck, one of the seven machine gods, who, you know... Looks pretty awesome when you first meet him, and he sweeps through his giant sweeping lasers and everything. But when he actually joins, it, well, basically, he be described as the Tin Man meets a tree stump. I guess. I, when Painted I look red. at his animation, I kind of think of a wood chipper. <laughs> That's possible. I mean, he's a very effective ally who works very different from another character because he doesn't gain level. All his powers are given to him by his power unit, well, yeah, which you need to find from these various dungeons and install into better stats and abilities. And I did. And, I did go through those various dungeons and find his various abilities, and he's really useful, except for one of them, which I couldn't get. And we'll get to that in a little bit because it it tied into Choco. Um, but yeah, just toss out most of his old ones. You're not going to be needing them because there is the strict inventory limit in this game, which is God. Hard. I hate the strict inventory limit in this game, and I'll get why into why a little bit later. But um, so Diek <sighs> Beck, uh, yeah, and at the end of the game, you actually get there's a character who can switch all the experience that Diekbeck has gained because he doesn't gain levels and give it to other characters. And this is a great way to level people up because it's, he gets experience faster than everyone else and he can convert it to one-to-one ratio so he can, you know, really level up other characters. He can. Um, let's see. Then there's Gruga, the Gruga, guy Shantae meets. Yeah, Shantae meets a bit later into the game. Well, okay, I'll just run through the story real fast. So basically, they go onto Yago's Isle, they meet Diekbeck, then they come back. They meet back up with Shu and Shante eventually. While being menaced by Romalian agents all the time. Well, yeah, while being menaced by agents left and right. Well, by... you, who you almost never fight in human form. They always change yeah, no, from their... No, one, their... you never fight anyone who actually, you know, looks human. Because as soon as any human runs up to fight you, they, you know... Unless they're a ninja or something, which apparently counts as a monster, then they transform into monsters to fight you. You know, that's what enemies do. They're trained yeah. themselves to monsters. Their soldier Just... uniforms melt off and they turn into skeletons or slimes or whatever. Skeletons or slimes or bugs, demons, whatever. Yeah. Which, Clouds which of does mist beg the sometimes. question of why the Romalians would be bothering to put these guys in uniforms if they're going to just get destroyed immediately. Yeah. And so, yeah, you learn about this stuff, you meet back up, and then you basically... Hunting after the man named Gallardo, who's the leader of the Cabal, well, which is the organization that's chasing after Liesa, which is also running the, the facility called the White House, which is where Elk was kind of orphaned as a, thrown in, in as an orphan as a kid. And had to leave behind. And had to leave behind because, you know, it's basically a giant facility for training kids into horrible monsters in a grotesque manner. It's really disturbing, actually. Yeah, it, it could have been realized better, I think, just because... Uh... The, the the villains once they have revealed that they are the villains are pretty much just I am super yeah evil. I mean they're incredibly like I am evil I am proud of it every kind of stereotype of you know Saturday morning cartoon villainy if they, they had black mustaches they would twirl Galano has a black mustache wouldn't be surprised I, if he twirled it I think he might have yeah and he's he's bald and he looks 
well, he looks like a villain, he acts like a villain, he talks like a villain. I think Yagun's think... the bald one. Galarno actually has black hair. <laughs> he actually has some hair. And Andal, the guy you know, in the first game, wears a jester's hat for some reason. Yeah, or something like that. And, and then this the last guy who looks just dressed like you know, a German soldier. Like, yeah, you don't Nazi see too much of him until the end, just because he's the homebody defending the Romalian home front, and uh, eventually you have to beat him up, because... He is defending the Romalian home front. And, and Romalia's decided to declare themselves the villains of this game. Because apparently yeah, there's, there's really them. no ambiguity here. I can't help but wonder why the rest of the world is so reluctant to engage in, in defense against Romalia's obvious violations of other nations' sovereignty. But, oh, well. Yeah. I mean, it's just so transparently evil. I mean, like early in the game, they set up a giant mind control device trying to take over another country's city. And, yeah, and then Ark comes along and smashes it, at, which sets off Elk seeing the airship and yeah, the ship. I'm gonna get so, it. Anyway, so yeah, after learning all about Larno, though, they head off to return to the White House. House and maybe hope to find and rescue a girl named Marielle, who Elk knew and met the, uh, when he was a kid, and promised to rescue but never did. So you and go she there. helped him to escape, so he owes mm -hmm. her. Yeah, and you go there and you meet her. You trying to you after finding the giant bosses, invading the creepy laboratory, which involves going to a desert, a for it's a maze-like forest, the and the sewers before you even get into the laboratory. Well, it's actually a really tragic thing. Actually, a really dramatic emotional scene. You know, I really the, this all the way up to this point. This game, this game especially when it's are really good, but you know. After this point, well, this point is where, you know, Ark from the Peter's first game shows up, and along with all of his allies. And though, though you have seen them a couple of times earlier. You've seen them a couple of times before, and if you've loaded data from the previous game, you've even controlled them a couple of times, but since there's some optional scenes you unlock if you do so. I didn't know they were optional. I just assumed that, hey, here I am. I'm Ark, I'm Tosh, and I'm Poco, and I'm fighting guys. And I'm at my old level, so that's cool. These guys go down easy. Yeah, but you only see that scene, you can even control them if you've loaded data from the old game. Okay. That's, I didn't know that. And yeah, you meet them, and Kukuru has to ma uh, stay at a basically has to stay to in a certain place in order stay to stay in a certain shrine at the top of a giant mountain, which erupted to the ground into the, into the last game. Yeah, and maintain the barrier. Maintain the barrier. Stop the Dark One, who apparently all the generals of Romalia are serving and trying to revive because they want to revive the Dark One. I, why would you want to revive a guy called the Dark One? <laughs> Well, because the Emperor is clearly an idiot and is listening to what the Dark One is telling him. If you just revive me, power to take over the... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. That's... And then, of course, at the end, when you've beaten all of his generals, the Emperor does, in fact, revive the Dark One. And what do you know? The Dark One is even more evil because he kills the Emperor. Which yeah, is probably good because, you know, that emperor looked like a wuss. He wouldn't have much of a fight. Now, I'm, I'm reading the transcript here, and it says that the Dark One promised the emperor uh, global health care. So I think that's why he really revived. That's what he was promising? I don't yeah. remember the words health care ever being yeah. uttered in this Absolutely. <laughs> was this supposed to be a very prescient knowledge of what was going to be happening in the future. The dark, the dark one says, "Healthcare shouldn't be a privilege; it should be a right." I can help you. you know, on the map of how this kind of Arclad world's map is kind of a, really a not Earth, like it's a one to one relationship between its continents, our continents. Romalia is Europe, by the way. It's, you know, all of Europe is Romalia. Well, just change so, one letter, and you've already got a country. <laughs> Um, oh, yes, and there's one other character we didn't mention, Sonia, the princess of Milmarna. Sonia, yeah. She's, 
she arrives really late at like level 50, but she's actually pretty useful with some cool abilities. Yeah, her dark card ability is really powerful. Yeah, and she can also just hand her turn off to another character. They still get their turns, but they just instead get her turn as well. Really technically... And she can equip a spear, which I found really useful. Yeah, well, like, so can Elk, too. It's like, ranged weapons like that are so powerful and handy. And don't hey, get hit by counterattacks. Hit multiple enemies at once. It works. Yeah, uh, let's see. Um, uh, yeah. You do not play Chongara anymore. He is now just a, yeah. a talking NPC. He's a talking NPC, still a bad Middle Eastern stereotype, but a talking, mostly an NPC. But you can have summons from the last game. They're just kind of useless. They're not characters. Yeah, you can, you can level them if you want. There's no real point. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Then there's Choco, who is an optional character. Mm-hmm. Again, unlike the other summons Chungar used from the last game, she's very powerful. Yes, and now I get to explain the story here. See, if you go down through the, and finish the ancient palace in the first game, apparently what happens when you play this is that you are able to go down to where you were before, which is much, much faster in the second game, let me tell you. There are warp points every ten floors. You can save every ten floors. Sure. And yeah, the floors in particular go by really quick now. And if you go to level floor 50, Choco will find something in that room and take you down even deeper what is it, level 73 or so instead of level 50, and then you can fight her dark side or something and gain an extra power for it. But, you can go down there in the first game, you can go down to floor 50, and nothing will happen. Nothing. Let's see. And also, apparently, I, I missed a certain mission, so I wasn't able to get Deke Beck's greatest power chip, which uh, you get when you have him fight through some certain matches somewhere. I don't, I don't know what it was because I missed it. I've heard about it, which is a shame. Or Dieck Beckham's. So, uh, are we missing anybody? No, I think that's mostly cast. I mean, everyone returns from the previous cast. Uh, well, Kakuru was missing originally. Should we join eventually? No. It, well, you. <laughs> Remember the time yeah, travel yeah, I'm portion? Sorry, I haven't quite yeah. What did you say? Have you gotten sorry. to the, the time traveling portion? I was not aware there was a time travel. <laughs> you choose one character to go back in time and make sure... This is kind of a bridge between the first and second games. This takes place as you're trying to make sure that the Romalians cannot just flock over and conquer the spirit refuges. So one character, and I picked Art just for the heck of it because he's got total healing. That's really handy if you've only got him. And you're joined by Kukuru, who looks like she did in the first game instead of her slightly different robe in the second game. And you go through a link between the two games and she this is the only real time you get to use her in Arc the Lad 2 in the time traveling segment that's really kind of annoying because it's here the entire game she's actually one of my favorite characters to play to control with the first one since she's style fighting and, she had that really powerful Oli attack yeah uh, and then you uh, you somehow finish things in the past and come back to the present I, I really don't remember the whole justification here just thinking did we really need to have a time-traveling portion of this game? <laughs> Sounds to me like my feelings of White Night Chronicles, too. <laughs> At least it goes by pretty quickly, because you've only got two characters on your side, so the enemy can't be <laughs> too nasty. Yeah. Um, have you gone through the portion where Tosh has to face his father? Uh, no, I've... Okay, basically, the thing about me and Arclad 2 is that, you know, I get to the... It's, I, I love they came up through the White House events, and then they do all the things where the everyone's breaking off in different things. The level curve goes crazy, and they start bringing back the Ark of the Land, uh, the one plot. And so it basically, 
everything good about Arthalad 2's plot basically needs to go away and starts resembling Arthalad 1 a lot more, which is a problem for me because Arthalad 1 isn't that good, not compared to you know the start of Arthalad 2. You know, it now, starts, it's you know, not the, that bad, but yes, the, the plot suddenly becomes a lot less focused and more I mean, random event centered. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was like, you know, after the White House. It's, Elk is hurt and injured, and everyone's worried about him. And Liza can barely ba- pull herself away from him until she has to do so for the sake of, well, I guess, developing her own character a bit. Uh, but right when he meets back up, you know, no one even bothers to say, oh, hey, Elk, you're actually okay. We're happy to see this. I mean, no one, that doesn't happen. Basically, all the good character development just stops right there. It's really annoying. And then you kill Galano, who turns into a giant slime thing. Well, of course. Uh- I mean, you can't fight a human. We've already established that. In <laughs> uh, and just so you're, just so we're all about the spoilers. The other three generals, yes, they turn into gigantic monstrosities too. Andal turns into a gigantic not? floating face for some reason. Because why not? Hey, it worked for Andros. Exactly. Uh, but there are good parts here, just more scattered than they should have been. Uh, yeah. For, there, there's I mean, uh, there's an amusing segment where you're going onto an oil rig and. Uh, Everybody has to leap out of the airship because it apparently can't get quite down to the surface. And Shante amusingly says, um, you know, if I'd known we were going to be jumping 20 feet, I wouldn't have worn heels. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Shante. I really do. Yeah, the, there's a lot of good little details in this game. I mean, the translation is a little quirky. The characters, the voice of characters is a little inconsistent. And, you know, they're not consistent at all on how they translate most of, like, the item and monster names between the first two games. It's like, you know, I earned the sword called the Phantom Sword in the first game. In the second game, when I finally get it back, because, you know, every accessory game you can get the first, you can transfer to the second. It's not the Phantom Sword anymore. It's the Fabulous. <laughs> when did I get a Fabulous Sword? Maybe this is the sword that, that lets you participate in every festival in San Francisco. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's particularly with certain items, I had to test them and figure out what they did. The game... Lots of healing items in particular don't give you any idea how much they heal, so you have to find yeah. out by experiment. And as long as we're talking about that, it's not working design's fault, this thing, but you have the 99 item limit. Yeah, there is basically. no means of circumventing this. There is no storage medium in this game. And did I mentioned how, you know, if they get, you get all the items from the previous game into this one, there are a lot of accessories in the previous game. A lot. And if you go to the bottom of the previous dungeon, you have most of the giant dungeon, you have most of them. You do not have enough inventory space for all of them. So the process of getting them and sorting through them and trying to keep your inventory straight, well, it's... You know, I'm, I'm, so almost, it, getting, I'm almost getting, like, um, some feelings of negativity here, as if you guys are almost trying to communicate that this is a negative thing. We all know that strict <laughs> item limits help enhance the experience because they force you to strategize your inventory. Okay. And this I, I is like a tactical some... game, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. You know, I like... I, I do actually kind of like item limits in some games. Some games do it well. This is not one of those games. <laughs> uh, no. Particularly not when you have the ability to fuse certain items together, meaning that you have to keep them until you are able to get... There aren't many places you can fuse items, so you'd better hold on to them. But, yeah. uh, oh, what happens if you see some good stuff and you need to go and uh, keep it in your inventory until you can fuse it and maybe make something really awesome, but uh-oh! Those enemies st- keep dropping stupid status recovery things and filling up your inventory. You're going to have to go clean it out now. 
Yeah, or there's stuff like, you know, you've got, like, how many characters in this game? Plus, I'm going to uh, talk just about Just story, I think you've got a dozen. Just story, you've got a dozen. Plus, you've got all of Chungara's summons. Plus, you know, Lieza can recruit monsters. She can just hit she them can. with her whip and steal that. I mean, you can get the, add them into your party and you can get as many monsters as you want. And you should do that just because there is one fairly small dungeon. You only have to go through about three fights in it, but only monsters can go through it. Mm-hmm. And once you go and through there, you find, uh, what's her face, some lady? Mother Claire. Mother Claire. And Who, if you find yeah. Mother Claire, she can give all of your characters a couple of optional spells. In mm-hmm. addition to their to their set lists, you can give them a couple of extra things to balance them out or give them some other kind of offense, whatever you want. The list, mm-hmm. the options are actually pretty broad when you find Mother Claire. So yeah, you, you do want to have a monster team. That sounds yeah. pretty neat. I, I can't remember any tactical game, anything like that. I mean, you know, like, and I was playing like Final Fantasy Tactics. You could recruit monsters in that game, but it, it was really worth it. The monsters were generally less effective than their human counterparts, and there was no purpose. Yeah, but well, here I, it sounds like you can is, do something monsters here. Are pretty, monsters are pretty good in this game, at least for the early section. I mean, you don't... The first part of the game, you don't have enough people to have a whole team unless you get some monsters, and they can be pretty helpful. They've often got a couple of nice abilities that you can't really get on your main characters. And, you know... And they level, well, so they get they level, stronger, too. They get stronger, too, and the, their one drawback is they can't equip armor. Why? I don't know. It makes sense. You've got more than enough accessories and stuff for them, but that's the big Achilles heels. They can't equip armor, so the defense is a little low across the board. But, hey, that's okay. They still fight well. Uh, and, and as long as we're talking about cool things, there's the as as you use a certain weapon type, you get better with it. Yeah, and you know every character is good at like three weapons or so, and you know most of them. A lot of them have very different properties. Tosh is only so, good at swords, but he only needs yeah, swords. Yeah, really. he's Tosh. He's straightforward and does one thing. Ark so, doesn't need just swords anymore. He can now use sticks and knives. And Lieza can use whips or knives. Ark can use spears or, or axes. Uh, yeah, Elk in addition to swords. In addition to how they need to use swords since they're a good sword user. And uh, you might want to use an axe because axes tend to be the strongest weapons. But Yeah, or like Groove, I can use, I can use, I think, boots, sticks, and axes. That sounds right. So, yeah, yeah. characters, and, you know, as before I mentioned, Shoot's got boots and two different types of gun. The shotgun so, type and the machine gun type. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, these weapons have different properties. They hit different ranges. You want to swap them a lot mid-battle, which kind of ties into the whole why the inventory limit's annoying, because you want multiple weapons for fighting with every character. And not, you can change equipment mid-battle with no cost, so you want to really change it all the time to suit your needs, and that runs right into the inventory limit. Yeah, the longer you use a certain type of weapon, the better you get with it. it you can even see where you are. Ah, I'm with level 10 at guns. That means they'll be doing na- nasty damage instead of my shoes, which are level 5 or so. But I might want to bump that up now. It... Also, you get some pretty high experience totals by the end of this game. I had characters with over 5 million experience by the end. Of <laughs> in Around level 90. I don't know what the maximum level is in the game, because I didn't find it, but... Yeah, uh, it's 60 in the previous game, and it's the highest level it can be into this one, but it can go higher here. And you you might want to for the final battle, but I'll I'll mention that because you will need to know about that if you when you go and face it, Nathan. You will I need see. to know, unless you want to be frustrated as some people apparently have been. Um. Yeah, frustration is something that kind of creeps into this a lot, sadly. 
on the other hand, you know, it's got some other good points because you know it's got hunter mission. Those are cool. I like these because you know any of every town has a hunter skill, so you can go in and say, "Oh, hey, give me a job," and they'll assign. You can choose different missions and go out and do little fun little side quests, little characters and events, and a couple battles. Or you can go hunt That's wanted it. monsters. Or hunt, or you can hunt wanted monsters, or just randomly around there is a monster which you know it's wanted. You can kill it, and you can come back and get a reward for killing it. It's nothing too fancy, unless the rewards are just money and guild credits, which I I know they let me into one room, otherwise I don't know how you can use it at all. And, well, that room uh, has some good stuff in it, but yeah, it's, okay. it's not going to break the game necessarily, but it is good stuff. Yeah, so you know you don't really need the money since money's pretty plentiful in the game, so you mostly want to do it just for the fun of it. But they are pretty fun, so it's worthwhile for their own right. And this is important for the next game. <laughs> Again, we'll well, I I liked it in the next game, so we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, the thing, I like hundred missions. Yeah, they they're a good variety. That's mm-hmm. first thing. Although some of I mean, them are annoying. I'm yeah, thinking like, in particular know, of the one that requires you to go around the whole freaking volcano again, fighting everything <laughs> again, in order to find some items that some idiot managed to lose all over the place. How did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> or or if the, like, for me, it's like, find the missing kid. It's like he shows you an image of a kid, and then there's like ten of them who all look identical, and you're apparently supposed to find the one that, you know... I. I found one who he looks exactly the same, except his shoes were brown instead of black or something. <laughs> and because of that, I didn't get the full reward for the quest. It's like, come on! I don't want to you brought, you, If you brought back the wrong kid, why would you expect the full reward? <laughs> well, I mean, since you back to find the right kid, but I, I pray you back the right kid. It's not my fault either. They all look the same. Why did you dress your kid in the same way as every other kid in town, lady? Maybe, what kind of mother are you? Maybe they all go to a private school in that town. You know, in, J- in Japan, where, where the game was made, a lot of those no, kids no, no. go to school wearing uniforms. Yeah, but this game is, this city is basically, it's basically, you know, a alternate universe version of New York. It's not Japan. That's Syria. I just think you're being a little harsh here. You should be <laughs> celebrating they gave you any XP at all. You brought back the wrong kid. Hey, come on. This is the one mod on my perfect record. I can complain. Oh, and there's one, the, the final mission. You have to take it after uh, the path to, in, into the Romalian city center is open. If you don't do it then, then you can never complete it. So just know that. Just know that mm-hmm. once you once the path through Mali is open, go back. You'll find the last mission, uh, and you'll you will accomplish it in the course of navigating the Romalian city center. It's not that difficult. Um, I suppose I should mention that for all the amazing sprite animations, because the enemies never just disappear; they disintegrate, or they fall over, or they collapse into a skeleton and then melt into the ground. Or they lose all their feathers and run off the side yes. of the screen. Yes, those stupid birds. But there's an awful lot of palette swapping going on. Yeah. I mean, you've got the green slimes, the blue slimes, the red slimes. There's probably more slimes past that. And there's like... Purple slimes. Purple slimes. Just the orange warrior, the orange armored warrior, the red armored warrior, the black armored warrior, the purple armored warrior. You, they, you can't even the keep all the birds straight. The do brown you, bird, the green bird, the black bird. Do, do you guys complain about the fact that there are colored chocobos in Final Fantasy games as well? I mean, come on. That's variety. <laughs> I... Yeah, those white chocobos that replenish your magic points, those are awesome. They're uh... I can tell the chocobos apart. <laughs> I don't know. 
I can tell the Chocobos apart. I can't tell these enemies apart. Like, I fight this one color once, and then the next time I fight this kind of enemy, it's a different color. And I can't even remember if I fought that color before or not, which is important since I need to search every one for my monster book to get all of the pictures. Well, I'm Apparently saying... that's just a, a signal. Yes, every time you start a battle, you need to cancel out and go look around everything. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm playing uh, Dragon Warrior 2 where they like to do that whole palette swapping a lot, but do they at least give them like different names? I like how in, in Dragon Dragon Warrior it's like, first you find a centipede, but then later on you find an armored centipede, and you're like, yeah, it's, there's no like armor on that centipede, it's just purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's basically the same thing. I mean, even to modern games, honestly, I think this kind of thing is even worse in modern PS3, PS4 game, type games, but... I mean, Falsy 13 is really bad at this in some way, but I guess that's getting into a bit too much of a tangent. Whoa, are you serious? They they do that at 13? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of the more recent Final Fantasy games tend to do this pretty badly, way worse than the older ones. Wow. Since, you know, it's like, you fight, like, you fight one thing, and you fight something which is, like, slightly different model or different texture, and, like, you fight 20 of them across the length of the game. That game will get its day, believe me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will say at least that when they're using special abilities instead of their basic attacks, these palette swaps tend to use distinct enough things that you won't confuse them with each other. And mm-hmm. most of the time, the developers were smart enough not to include the same design just with the palette. No, let me take that back. There often are the same things just with palette swaps on the same battlefield, so you'll need to look closely. Yeah. I mean, that's... Modern monsters are often slightly different. Are often, like, the same type of monsters there, just different palettes for whenever a monster, monster shows up, so you need to, like... Oh, hey, I guess that one's one monster, or, or wait, or is that one? There's only two. I don't know which one's which. Yeah, that's the, that's the paralysis cloud, and that's the poison cloud. We better know the difference. Because, <laughs> well, yes, you find lots of just clouds there. I don't, I don't know how you're able to hit a cloud even, but you do. Um, oh, yes, and the enemies, their AI is necessarily brilliant here, but they are smart enough to go for your back whenever possible. Yeah, like, they're no longer deliberately holding back and attacking you at your strongest. They're actually now kind of willing to attack you when you're vulnerable. Something. And they will use, they, whenever possible, if they have a weapon from which, with which they can hit you and not get countered, they will. At the same time, they're not quite smart enough to stand in a place where they, it won't be, where they and their ally behind them will be hurt by your spear counterattack. They'll do that on occasion. It's an improvement over the first game's AI, not to the level <laughs> where you'd go, these guys are really smart! Yeah, but at least it's you know clever enough to petrify my entire party on occasion. Then again, it, when you're navigating Romalia, you're probably going to be happy that all the enemies that could cast a destructive spell at you don't do it in one turn, because if they did, they'd wipe you out. Yeah. That, that be, instead, mages will walk right up and hit you with this for little damage. I don't know why they do this, but I'm grateful they do. Yeah, that, that is a particular problem of mages in this game. They forget that they know spells and just decide whacking you is the smartest strategy. But that is something that you will just have to educate them about. And if they don't survive their education, that's their fault. Yep. Uh, and in the regular game missions, there's a pretty good variety, I've got to say. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, I mean... Uh... Well, remember, not long after Sonya joins you, you have to free her country, which is being threatened by a gigantic cannon that the Romalians have set up and is somehow able yeah, to so blast. Yes, you've got the giant targeting cursor moving around, blowing people up every turn. Well, after that, one team distracts them by just making a loud disturbance outside the train, because, of course, a train would be able to haul a weapon that massive, and doing a good number on the enemies, while inside, the other team, and this is why you need to keep 
everyone somewhat level because there are a few points when you're going to need to make up two teams, goes inside, runs around unlocking security doors, and eventually comes across the finale here. And uh, when you fight Ondal late in the game, you, you need, again, two teams. One team goes to the, I think it's the North Tower, the other is the South Tower, with very creative names because one of them is at one end of the world and the other is at the other. And you actually need to unlock the path for the other team with the first one. You'll do something that, with one team that opens the next part of the path for the other. And it's, I guess you could call it derivative a little of Final Fantasy VI, but there are but, worse you know, things to rip off. There, yeah, there are definitely worse things to rip off than some of Final Fantasy VI's best dungeon design. Uh, and then there's yeah, the there's final... Also some- those are some stuff like early on you get to distract a bunch of soldiers for so long by time for another character to lay bombs and blow up a train yard. Yep, that would be Tosh and Shu, as I recall. Yeah, Tosh has to, like, you know, hey, I'm going to fight as many enemies for as long as I can, which, you know, for me, when it brought him over from max level from previous game was pretty long. Yeah, I eventually I... figured out that this is never going to end, even though I'm able to kill as many of these things as I want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you, that same battlefield you will come back to very late in the game, and this is your signal, you will fight a ten-turn battle as a distraction for other people to come along and set off more bombs. Problem, what problem can't be solved by a liberal use of heavy explosives? When you're interrupting the transportation system of the Romalian Empire, which is heavily dependent upon locomotives, not many. Locomotives are very, very vulnerable to having their rail lines torn up, I've noticed. Uh... And yes, you should also know, Nathan, that when you make the decision to go into the floating castle, whatever they call it here, that you cannot get out again. It's do or die at that point. I see. Good to know. And none of the enemies in there respawn, which is good for getting back to for save purposes, because your ship has just crashed into the flying tower, so there's actually a pretty good reason you can't get out again. That's a crime. Yeah, and you might just need it for the Dark One. Uh, the Dark One's first phase is a joke. The Dark One's second phase is nasty, but you can handle it. It's his third phase with 9,999 HP. And in mm. this game where not many enemies have over 1,000 HP, that's a lot. And he actually does hit hard enough that you will probably lose people constantly. So how did I win? Shantae had an accessory that replenished her magic points, and she is the only character to naturally know the resurrection spell. Yeah, I it sounds abused. like a romancing stone to be re- it is. I Shantae was my MVP. She gained like three levels in that battle because it takes a long time. <laughs> Good to know. Put Romancing I, Stone on someone's resurrection for that. Yeah, you will run out of items. Don't rely on items. Because the Dark One hits really. Yeah. Good. Even though he looks like a, some oh, kind of baby. Almost <laughs> like almost like how healthcare hits my pocketbook really hard. Wow. I think you're reaching with the parallels here, Phil. Maybe a little. Besides, we we really don't want to get into politics on this, and you're skating close. Politics uh, are bad. Unless you can make a living at it, and I don't want to try. <laughs> you make enemies there. Um, there is a wider score in this game. Uh, I liked a lot of the tracks. So there's a good variety of battle music. Yeah, there's a good variety of a lot of music. A lot of stuff from the previous game, a lot of other stuff. Overall, some tracks that I think I really just really like. Some really good emotional ones. I mean, uh, there's nothing here I'd call the best music ever, but it Certainly, it works. Yeah, and the variety is quite helpful considering I think my clock by the end was 75-ish hours. Yeah, it's a pretty long one. It's like, you know, I go through all this effort and suddenly it feels like I've barely started. I don't know. Well, once 
that world opens up and you can go everywhere and do whatever you want. There, there's an order you need. You kind of need to try and do it in, but there is a lot to do. Yeah. And I didn't even delve into the, the, the battle arena much, except for the one annoying hunter mission where there's this stupid enemy. Ha ha ha, you don't know which one of me is real. Well, I don't really understand which one of you is real, considering I can kill all of you, and apparently I have to kill all of you simultaneously if I'm going to get lucky. That was a weird battle, but it gave me a lot of experience, so I guess I can't complain. <laughs> More experience, experience is always good. Yeah, he, he wasn't particularly destructive, so I guess I was lucky that way. Because there are eight of him. That's a lot. And you only have a team of five in this game. Yeah. And every time you kill one of them, and it's not the real one, then another a replacement will just pop up on the edge, and next action will come out there and start fighting you again. So it's a nasty battle. Have we mentioned that there's a lot in this game yet? Because there is. Let's, let's say it again for emphasis, just in case somebody missed the first time, the first three times. There is a lot in this game. This isn't Archlad 1. It's not short. There's a lot of it. It might overstay its welcome, hard to say, but not for the same reason the first one does. Yeah, I, that item limit really, really irritated me. Yeah. And some of the missions did get irritating, but on balance, this is a real game. Yeah, much better than the first game. It's almost like they used that extra development time to improve things. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still kind of wish... There's certain sense I wish this game wasn't shackled to the first game because you know, it'd be, probably be better if it wasn't trying to finish up the lane plot from the first one and just could be its own thing. But as a whole, it's an okay game. Yeah, and I remember several NPCs in particular that working designs magic at work have very amusing things to say. There's somebody with a lengthy discourse on what it means to be the village idiot that caught my mind. Yeah, I saw that one on the banner of our figure sites recently. <laughs> Yeah, I, I passed it on to Mac, and he, I gave him a lengthier quote from which he chose a particular snippet feature on the site. Considering we've had our current quote quite a while, I might as well press him to change it again. Uh, but unless... I think we're running short of material here, though. Yeah. Considering uh, what else we've got to go tonight. Yeah, we've got a lot to cover still, and I've got some rants ahead of me, so... Okay. <laughs> i got some rants ahead of me. Do you, do you just, want to take a break now, Phil, so that we don't risk losing anything? Just, just not enough rant. Yeah, we'll take a brief uh, respite, respite, whatever it's called. And uh, we we also slaughter the English language. We don't just slaughter names here, boys and girls. Uh, and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Like, uh, you know, I didn't wrap that up towards the end there, but it sounds like you all pretty much had fun with Arthur Lad. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, you know, 
I don't sink 70 plus hours into a game I'm not having fun. Oh! Unless, uh, yeah. you know what? I have to revise that statement. Yeah. I just realized how stupid it sounds after yeah. I mean, we don't want to remind you of that game. That game. That, that which, which yeah. shall not be spoken. Let me put it this way. Your value for time spent is much higher in this game than certain other very, very long games. Mm, okay. I walked right into that one. Uh, yeah. I don't want myself yeah. to blame. Pretty pretty much. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, let's uh, let's move forward then. Uh, rather than hang around in this mucky muck. Let's talk about Ark the Lad 3. Once again, developed by SCEI and Ark Entertainment. Published in North America by Working Design. And this came to you as part of the Ark the Lad collection 2002. But was originally really originally in Japan on October 2099. Later on, PlayStation Network in North America on January 4th, 2011. This is a single-player touchy experience. And, you know, I can't help but notice, but all of these are coming on, like, one CD-ROM. It must be because they didn't use nope, 3D this graphics. This one comes on two CD-ROMs. It says one in Wikipedia. And well, Wikipedia is wrong. It is never wrong, yeah, yeah, Mike. I have the game right here. It's never on never two wrong. CD-ROMs. Is that the I whole had collection? To the disc. Is that the collection, or is that the Japanese? That's the collection. Oh, well, that's because it's a collection. We're talking about the original game itself. Ark the Lad like... 3 comes yeah. on two CD-ROMs in the collection. Oh, so he has, like, two CDs by itself, and then you have other CDs for the other games? Yeah, one and two each got a single disc themselves, and I gather the Monster Arena Battle or whatever it was got some other disc. But that's not an RPG, so we're not talking about it. Yeah, three, get, three gets yeah, two CD-ROMs. Six-disc collection. One, maybe, one maybe. for Arthur one, one for Arthur 2, one for Monster Arena, two discs for Arthur 3, and one disc, which is just a bonus stuff. Yeah, maybe it had some uh, bonus, like you said, some bonus stuff there. Mm. Interesting. Anywho, so... Let's I don't talk. know. It, se- it seems designed to be split into two discs, considering you have to switch uh, about halfway through the game. Although, don't, don't make that let you expect uh, grandiose CG cutscenes all the time, because you're not really going to get them. As we all know, those were the selling point of RPGs once upon a time for television ads. Remember those? Yeah, the rather slightly deceptive Office 7 ad. Didn't show actual gameplay at all. It's something that looked cool, though. Well, they got people to buy it. That was the mission. It was successful. Anyway, uh, yeah. Anywho, so let's talk about the story of Ark the Lad. And by let's, I mean you, you guys, because I know nothing. You, you want yeah, to take okay. a nice commercial? Like? Ark the Lad, okay, this is an interesting one for me because, you know, Ark the Lad 3 suffers from the exact same syndrome that it suffered from when from, from I went to 2. You see, when I was playing through 2, I kind of got burnt out a bit into it when the game opened up and stretched on a bit long. I thought, oh, hey, maybe I'll try Arcade 3. I'm kind of, it's, it might be forever before I actually play it seriously, so I should just give it a little bit of a try. And I picked it up and really stopped playing Arcade 2 and then started playing Arcade 3 for the longest time. I probably got farther than 3 than I did in 1 or 2 when I was originally playing these. And, yeah, its story is actually kind of meandering as far as I remember. It, it doesn't have as clear of a goal. It doesn't have as clear of villains for the longest time. It show up eventually later, but you know, this isn't a series that's good, known for strong villains, so they're kind of there. If only you had somebody promising you no new taxes, that would be pretty sinister. <laughs> Are you trying uh, to, re- to revive memories of the first Bush presidency, Phil? Are you actually trying to do that? No, no, I'm just saying, doesn't that sound sinister to you when you think about it? I mean, that would be an awesome villain. Look, I'm sorry, but that one's too old for me. <laughs> Read my lips. No new taxes. Yep. So, anywho, uh, what go, about go you? See, go see Dana Carvey impersonating him on, on YouTube somewhere. He did a good job. Yeah, so what about you, Mike? Uh, can you give me any details about the story? Well, I okay. can, actually. Uh, it, 
I agree with what Nathan says that it's very uh, it's certainly not narrowly focused it never yeah. becomes narrowly focused yeah it's basically but, basically the main hero is Alec and yep he, he wants his, to be a hunter his best pal Lutz Alec and Lutz you know, Alec wants to be a hunter, so he becomes a hunter, and he starts doing hunter missions, taking well, after, them all around. After his home village is attacked by bandits, and he goes to get a hunter to bail him out, and well, you know that hunter is just so awesome that Alec's determination to get out of this podunk town and make something of himself by being a hunter is cinched. I'm going to do it. And Alec, is, as a character, is stoic, determined, effective, and because he doesn't really have any character flaws, he's got terribly deep, but as a lead he gets the job done. Lutz. Lutz is your character to go to if you want a character with um, definite characteristics. Lutz frankly reminds me of a slightly more articulate version of Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) He is constantly he appears to have absolutely no capacity to restrain what his tongue will utter. (laughs) The first thing that pops into his head, he will say it. Every time, guaranteed. Does that make him come across as a jerk or an idiot? Usually, but he'll say it anyway. Wow, lady, you're really old. What the heck are you doing? Wow, I thought th- I thought from this mission that we'd be dealing with some old hag, but you're pretty hot. Blah, this is boring. Blah, 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 blah. Do I have to do it? I'm going to take a nap. Blah. That's Lutz. Wow, I I, I, think I just I blocked him from my brain. I'm just dying to, you know, just based on that alone, I'm ready to jump this right into my PSP and get going. Holy cow! Note that his Japanese voice is significantly higher, and I didn't try to do that to save your eardrums. And eventually, functionally, there are other Alec, characters in this game who are better. <laughs> Alec and Lutz meet up with Theo after before too much time has passed. Theo is a kid with the ability to use Cardish. Yeah, to and, transform monsters to cards, and thus he is a cardist. And he that also has the de- the de- defense buffing spell, which is really good to have. Yeah, I always have buffing spell. Well, especially since buffing spells never run out in this game. That is kind of nice. Then again, some, most of the battles are so short that a few turns is all you need. I mean, they're even faster than they were in 2. Uh, you're deeper into the game, you meet Cheryl, who is... Who, she lives in rather rotten, scummy town and she just doesn't trust anybody but eventually after dealing with Alec for a while, she decides to join up with everybody. She wields a mean gun. She wields a mean gun. She's studying to be a weapon synthesizer. There's all these different synthesis shops in the game which do various things for you. You need to uh, well, interact with and get new recipes. Basically it's like stuff like the combined shop from Open Smith from the previous game except far more expanded upon. Yeah. Uh... I freely admit to using a fax several times here because you can learn good recipes for synthesis, but if you don't, then you're probably going to waste your items. Yeah, it's you know like the Dragon Quest seven eight effect or eight nine effect eight nine effect that you know you can mess with the the mixing pots and all the experimental recipes, but it's not worth it. Let's see. Other let's wrap up the characters because this won't take long. There's Marsha. Who is She's a really mage. powerful mage who has confidence issues, and she will eventually be bucked up by the end. Trust me, she will. And you better level her, because, or else near the end she will have to take on four opponents solo. And if you leave her at level 20, that's a recipe for pain. Yeah, but keep everyone level because small off cast, you might as well. I think there's even fewer people you can deploy in this game than the previous, so you can't even. It's a small team, you can't even deploy all of it once, but. Four. That's your limit. Yeah. But again, since battles take place so quickly, you might as well. And. 
you don't really gain levels quickly, but on the other hand, there seems to be some kind of experience gaining curve to the point where you're pretty much guaranteed to constantly gain levels. I can't really explain it except to say that I never reached a point in the game where enemies were visibly giving me almost nothing. I was constantly gaining enough to realistically go, yep, I'll gain up a level pretty soon. And the last character you have to gain is uh, is his freaking name. He's the big. He's the dude with the big sword with the long silver mane of hair, and we obviously know who he's trying to emulate there. Let me try to look it up real fast. Velhart. Velhart, thank you. And with a big, big sword and looking really buff, kind of guess what function he would build in combat, and he does. And there is the op- the optional character of Henrietta, incredibly spoiled young lady whose father never pays attention to her. And if you do get her, this will be in the home stretch of the game, and she comes at level one. But Ouch. I can say that if you are willing to baby her along a little bit, her spells are actually strong enough to let her kill things fairly easily. She has unique abilities, and her personality is very distinct. I don't understand why she's so infatuated with Alec, but she is, and hell, she's a seventh character, which can make all the difference near the end here. Mm-hmm. And you do run into all of these surviving characters of Ark the Lad, too. Um, yeah, there's a lot of characters who show up as guests, guests joined I don't three know. times. So. I don't know, do you want me to spoil the end of Ark the Lad 2 for you, Nathan, or would you rather just <laughs> hum, <laughs> yeah, Ark hum Lad yourself 3 already spoiled the end of Ark the Lad 2 for Okay, that's why I stopped playing Arclad Three. When it, you know, I played Arclad One, couldn't quite finish it. Moved on to, had fun, but couldn't quite finish it. Moved on to Three. Played all the way up to the point where Three spoiled the end of Two, and it kind of made me depressed. I stopped playing my original Three. Well, since that you know, is- then I'll spoil it for everybody else. At the end of Two, Ark and Kukuru die. They sacrifice their souls to prevent the Dark One from being able to spread all over the Earth, and everybody else gets out to see that. You know, when that floating castle was raised in the air and the Dark One was partially unleashed, uh, it did a real number on the planet. If anybody has seen When Worlds Collide, it's kind of like that. Imagine an Earth-sized body moving around and shaking everything up with its gravitation. It would uh, do massive, massive damage. So that's... I'm not entirely sure how long after 2-3 takes place. Some number of years, Alec looks all grown up. Even more badass of a hunter than he was in the rookie. He does, and Alec was a kid when that happened, and clearly he's 18 or so now. Yeah. Like... But there are there are some children who talk about their memories from the Great Disaster, which makes... I don't know how... Your memories are not supposed to stay with you very long if you're a little, little kid when they happen, so I don't know how long ago it took place. Yeah, it's a little confusing. At any rate, this is the world in which Alec and friends find themselves. And for the first half of the game, you it's pretty linear. You take Hunter's missions, and you have to take Hunter's missions to advance the plot. But I didn't mind, because there's a really good variety of things. Some of them are, don't yeah. involve any fighting at all. Yeah, this, this game has a great variety of missions. Like, all you do is different Hunter missions, and they're all fun. And my only complaint is sometimes it's a little unclear, which is the story one you need to go on to progress. But other than that... It, I think it is. Uh, usually it will tell you, are you sure you want to take on this mission? You'll have to drop everything else right now. Yeah, but sometimes I think the requirements for getting that mission is just out of the less clear. Okay, that one I'll give you, because usually it just boils down to do enough missions to make another one pop up. Uh, eventually, the plot that takes, for, that takes form is there's this group called the Academy. The Academy is what you'd call tech nuts, digging around, unearthing whatever old tech they can, putting it into use now, run by some guy 
called the Professor. Oh, now that's a sinister name. The Professor. And he's got a goal which, you know, it just sounds stupid when you hear about it, but he actually has to find out about the hard way. He's going to go back to the Romalia, which is pretty much completely destroyed now. Not, no humans live there. He is going to drain the lake that formed after the end of the second game to access the floating castle, the flying castle, to reach the energy source, which is in there, and he's going to make it work for the benefit of humanity. And for those of us who know what the, that energy source happens to be, there's even some hints from his subordinates. This energy source sounds like we've ever seen. It might almost be sentient. You can kind of tell what's going to happen at the end. It, this isn't really a surprise. But yeah, yeah, this is probably not the most disastrous thing in video gaming schemes. This is not the guy who's literally named Dr. Fail, which is from <laughs> another video game, but it's still pretty high up there. Yeah, you'd think that a guy with so much education and knowledge on his side would pick up on this being a bad idea. <laughs> a very bad idea. No, it's like, especially this isn't like it's hundreds of years after the flying castle destroyed the world. It's, you know, within living most, memory. of a decade. It just... Okay, as I said, the villains in this series are not really the best. I can't point to a single villain I'd actually call a good villain anywhere in the Arctic Lad series. But. Yeah, the closest I would come, we, we have yet to talk about, but we'll get there. The, he has a couple of henchmen, one of whom is... Dun-dun-dun! The hunter who saved Alec back during the Great Disaster. And this is supposed to be some kind of meaningful revelation, and it meant nothing really to me. Okay, so... This is the hunter who saved you. So what? Uh, the professor has this guy and um, another guy for his main subordinates, who you, of course, have to fight and kill in the endgame. And they are so memorable that I am coming up with their names probably an hour after we finish this. <laughs> Did you just hate that? <laughs> there really isn't much to their characters. Yeah. One of them one of them uses a sword, the other guy uses a mace and a shield and looks kinda like he ought to be getting himself on a horse to go jousting. <laughs> uh but you don't get to the end game for quite a while. After the professor drains the drains the lake, Elk comes along to save you, which is cool because you get to see Elk and he's the last character from the first game you get to see. And you he's have pretty to... unbattled when he shows up. He's creating giant flame walls and saving your hide big time. He is, and he will join you at, during your excursion through the final dungeon, which is nice. Um, after he saves you, you get tasked with with finding some way to deal with the dark, and that requires you to go up and create a new arc. And that requires a number of submissions to find the, the eternal flame, the eternal tree, the eternal ice, and something else that's eternal. <laughs> There's a lot of eternity involved. Uh, you're making an arc to hold the dark one. I would expect it to have some eternal elements. And that will take up most of the second disc, along with whatever other side missions you do, which honestly are pretty fun. I, I have no idea why, but the very idea of the Rainbow Bridge Gang is silly to me. You remember these guys? Sadly, no. I'm sorry, I... You, I mean, first I start meeting, of... you first start meeting these goofballs early on. Uh, there's something about there are these people menacing travelers across a bridge. You go, you fight them. It turns out to be five guys who all look like they ought to be Mexican wrestlers wielding machine guns. And their <laughs> leader, who never fights, he just waxes philosophy about 
of our... Yes, we are the Rainbow Bridge Gang. And we... I don't even want to do his performance justice. This also, this group also has an amazing propensity to reenact their own recent history, as your <laughs> characters will remark. You know, if you're broken up now, why did you come together again to reenact that for us? Uh, and you deal with these guys a good six or seven times by the get time the game is done, if you go through every possible mission. And it just gets goofier as it goes along, until eventually, shocker of shockers, they figure out, Maybe we should put on a, th- a traveling thespian act instead. <laughs> yes. Uh, always a positive direction in life to move away from banditry towards <laughs> thespianism. Although the battles do get easier and easier because they never gain levels. Go grind so, more villains. They obviously need to. Their levels are 17 and 18, which for the first time you fight them is enough to make you pay attention. But by the time you're fighting them the last match you're probably going to be level 60 or so. They will go down, like, nine pins. Um, and I guess I should mention Final Battle. Will you be oh, shocked if, if you hear that it's the Dark One? I no. Mean... <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, Dark One, die already. <laughs> well, he's he's the Dark One, he can't. But it, it has two phases. Uh, the first phase involves him somehow... The Dark One has this great love of looking like a gigantic eyeball for whatever reason complete with eyelid. Um, yeah, the first phase is, I think it was six different eyeballs, but only one of them uses an attack per turn, so killing all of them doesn't take too much effort. And then his second phase, instead of the giant, malevolent, evil baby that he used in the second game, he uh, turns into some some melting sculpture kind of thing, which takes a while to kill, because he can regain some of his HP, but he regains less each time he does it. And if you pay attention and heal, then there's really no risk that you will die constantly like you did in the second game. So the Dark One has mercifully been made much easier to down. You will not probably need to spend 90 minutes on the final phase of this battle, (laughs) which is about how long I took for the second game's final battle. Ouch. And the battles in and of themselves are pretty much the same as the first. I just noticed that enemies and you are a lot less prone to counterattacking here. Yeah, I guess, you know, counterattacking happens all the time in the first two games. Like, they say, well, if you attack from behind, you won't be with so much risk of counterattack. That's a lie. Like, you get attacked from behind, you'll counterattack. You'll get counterattacked. You hit, if then hits you behind, you'll counterattack. It's just, it's always a counterattack. Oddly enough, the person I saw counterattack the most in this game is Marsha, the mage. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I set that up and you struck it home, Phil. I should have known. You know, I haven't played this game, so this is one of the few ways I can contribute. We appreciate every contribution you give us. Thank you, Nathan, at least. Hey, Nathan, you know, would you like to be on the show permanently? Because I like um, Well, I'll consider it. All right, awesome. I mean, I won't be able to say much about half these games, but... Hey, actually... what do you think I'm doing right now? See how easy it is? <laughs> <laughs> so... I actually enjoyed the structure of Arc the Lad 3 just because I, I tried to do every mission I could, and I missed one that has a narrow time window, and I failed a couple. There's one with Sonya trying to reun- trying to make some guy who's come to rely on her fortunes for absolutely everything believe that he shouldn't do that, and unless yeah, you... Yeah, I remember this one. Unless you know which answers you should choose to several questions that come up, then you'll probably fail. 
yeah, there's some annoying stuff like that. I mean, there's only a handful of missions I remember. I mean, I remember the one where you basically the arena announcer, who's normally so energetic, basically just, like he's lost all his enthusiasm and trying to figure out, let's just like, spice up the arena to cheer him up, and just uh, all the roundtables and the characters they try to toss up different ideas to figure something out. There's all the cool missions like that. Well, you speak of spice, that reminds me of another recurring theme: Spicy, the lovelorn ninja. Remember him? <laughs> Not as much, no. Sorry. You meet him multiple times through the game, and it's always in the form of Spicy pops up with, after becoming fixated on some woman who he's either never spoken to or spoken to just once enough to make her kind of freaked out. <laughs> Ninjas are not good at romance. Unless I guess they're Shu. He's actually pretty good at it, but... That's because he's Shu. Yes. Yeah, Shu is obviously Shu. above that. He is above most normal ninjas. And yes, Shu will join you a couple of times here, but he'll leave again. And his gun has an even bigger range in this game. <laughs> it's freaking yes. amazing how far that thing goes. <laughs> Shu is just a great character no matter what game he appears in. It's like, you and, know, they brought him back just because they wanted another awesome, the most awesome character from 2 back into this one. They also brought back Tosh, which I guess it's okay, but he's never been as awesome as Shu. And of course, you end up with Tosh a few more times than you end up with Shu. Go figure. Curse you, Tosh. Okay, you dragged me through the hardest dungeon in Lad 1, Pinch Solo. <laughs> so I can't really hate you, but. Yeah, plot-wise, you're not that, all that great. But Tosh, Shu, and Elk are the only characters who join you in battle from the from the second game. You meet Poco, you meet Lieza, you meet Shante, you meet Sunny. everybody else, but they never join you. They talk to you, though. Wow, thanks a lot. Um, and I guess this is a point to mention that this has a different look than the first two. Yeah, they've completely, the first two are very consistent in art style. We're using a lot of the same sprites. And, I mean, this one uses a couple of the same enemy sprites, but otherwise, it's got a completely different style. Just are much taller, I guess. Well, they're realistically proportioned. It's just super deformed now. Yeah. And, you know, I think it looks a little a little darker in that the color palette is much more brown yeah. and gray, or dark green. Also, I can't recall. Don't they use, like, 3D backgrounds at times in this game, or am I mistaken? They do sometimes. It's... Not the best of decisions because you can usually tell. Oh, there, there's some polygons. Yeah. But it it's also not to the point where it's eye jarring, eye jarring, eye searing, whatever. Yeah. Um, also just, it's like the Kardash summons are also 3D models. Sorry, yes. But I'll give it this: the animations they're 3D, but they load quickly, and they're over with pretty quickly. And for that, I have to be grateful because we all know what load times can do. Yeah, load times drive people insane. Uh, and I guess this is the time to mention Theo's cardish ability. You can hold up to five cards, which just make an enemy pop up and do an attack which hits everything on the screen. So I believe cards are used up whenever you summon them. So yes, they are. You have to capture a new monster every time you want to unleash the attack. Yes, uh, that means you can't rely on them too much in huge dungeons because an enemy, some enemies are a lot harder to cardish than others. Usually the enemies you might want to cardish, like that dragon. I, I want to have that dragon attack everything, but this is the third time this turn, this round I've tried to have the, the dragon be cardish, and it won't do it. I speak from experience. Sometimes these stupid dragons just won't be cardished. Yeah, it's, it's stuff like that's so annoying. But that is an attack that hits everything on the screen, and particularly for later enemies, they're pretty good attacks. They'll yeah, kill so that's... weaker stuff all by themselves. Yeah, so it's quite useful. So the fact that Theo doesn't ha has a fairly low HP total 
seriously, he doesn't have many more HP than Marsha the Mage, and doesn't have as many other abilities as the other characters. Doesn't mean a lot when he's got those cardish abilities, and one of his abilities. Yeah. This game is easier than the first two, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Partially, is the enemy AI is kind of lacking. I've seen them just wander around, not paying any attention. But yeah, you can use the MP capture ability even when enemies have no MP, and you will still get MP out of it. It's like something for nothing. Yeah. No heroes. And it, it will divide up the MP among however many people are in range of it, which some of your bigger spells are unlikely to be fully recharged from that, but hell, you can even use it against the final boss and gain some MP back. That's pretty much unheard of in some games. So, provided you make a point of staying up with your armor and have some vague idea of what you're doing in your tactical game maneuverings, then it is extremely unlikely that you lose. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, this series isn't terribly what I'd call a hard game, so then apparently your experience with the final boss of two, but... That wasn't even necessarily hard, thanks to Shantae having MP regeneration. Just tedious. Yeah, that's the thing. Also, the first game's like, you know, it's, the, it's really deep dungeon. gets a little tricky when you're low on resources and fighting enemies as powerful as the final boss down there. It's the low well, Arkwools and such down in the depths, but that's only because it's going on so long you just don't want to lose at all because otherwise you lost <laughs> five hours of your life. But Why couldn't you know, we have save of... points in, in that freaking ancient dungeon in the first game? No one will ever. Yeah. Boy. Um, other than that, though, yeah, it's not a very hard series. Overall, pretty simple tactical RPG stuff. Arcelot 3 is a little more simple than 2, even, because as far as I recall, every character has only one weapon type they can use, unlike the previous game, so with the exception of main hero, who can use any weapon type, I believe. Yeah, I I stuck him with spears most of the time, and then I think I swapped him out for guns later, because... Uh, Ranged weapons are good. They are. And Lutz has knives, which, well, yeah, they're, they're also ranged. Um, Marsha... Marsha stabs... No, stabs actually have... They only reach one in front of you, but they reach two, the two squares alongside that, too. Ah, okay. It's swords that have the shortest range. Yeah, swords and blades, which I believe Velhart uses, which yeah. they're both, you know... They're technically swords and blades. They're both, you know, stab them with their slash them kind of weapons, but just, you know, one's better than the other. That's Velhart's blades, as far as I recall. So. Well, he, you see him in the artwork. He's carrying the really big sword. That's a blade. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nothing. They both have the same range, it's just the only difference between them is that blades are stronger, as far as I can recall. Yeah, well, that's probably because Velhart is physically the strongest of them. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's the, the only person who can use swords can also use blades, so swords are kind of pointless. <laughs> but of course, blades only start popping up around when you get Velhart. True. Unless you synthesize them early, which you could, if you want to yeah, take a fact and do some research, because nobody's going to tell you this in the game that early, but you can get yourself <laughs> some really good stuff early on if, you're, if you've got the items available. Oh, and Henrietta has her own unique weapon. She somehow uses a ring, so that it looks like she's punching people, which is kind of funny considering she's... Uh, honestly, she looks like she's wearing some kind of tea party dress. <laughs> um, I liked the music for the most part in this game. What about you, Nathan? Yeah. Well, I sorry, I just I don't remember it as well. It's been a long time since I played this one. Fair enough. So I, yeah, I finished it very recently, so it's fresh in my head. Yeah, it's just I mean I, I'm sorry. It's like Arcade One and Two are much more fresh in my mind, but Three, it's like I'm still getting around to it for this time around. 
Well, it might be... I meant to play more, but, you know, Fallout 14 keeps happening. <laughs> it's probably easier to take if you just accept that you're not going to get a strong central plot for a good long while. Just enjoy the ride, enjoy the little side tangents yeah. and the goofy people I mean, you meet like, along the way. Yeah, like, this is a game... It's basically side quest heaven, what Arcalad 3 is. And if you're okay with that, then it's a fun game. And if you want a big driving central story, then well, it won't really help you, but... Oh, well. You will eventually get one, but it's not exactly the reason to play the game. Yeah. Unless what we ju- unless what I just described for you sounds like the most revelatory and jaw-droppingly immersive story you've ever heard, in which case you have probably not experienced many forms of fiction in your life. Yeah, which but I really have some recommendations for you, if that's your case. So, <laughs> so would I. Um, and yeah, for, this is on two discs. I don't really understand it, because it's shorter than the second game, which came on one disc, but there are more CG sequ- CG FMVs. They look nice, but they're pretty brief. I think you put them all together, you'd get less than ten minutes through the whole game. Somehow that all added up to two discs. I don't understand it. I guess multiple discs are just pop at the time. Yeah. And let's see, the ending kind of disappointed me because it's just a little CG of a character doing something and despite the... F- they all seem to be running off on their own for whatever reason. They break up after they defeat the Dark One and that made no sense to me. Come on, we're, we've just established that we're a really great fighting team. Why are we breaking up and going back home? But that's me. I don't know. Maybe it's the kind of life yeah. goes on ending that. Yeah, I just kind of always disappointed with that kind of thing myself. Um, especially with Cheryl, because the game has made this big point of her learning about friendship and getting getting along with people in a brand new way when she could never trust anybody before, and now she just goes home and leaves Alec and lets to go home too. That made yeah. no sense to me. Yeah, I just don't really like that kind of thing. Isn't interesting? Don't just go home. And Velhart br- visits his brother's grave, which is the entire reason he joined you, because his brother got killed by the Academy. Which is, of course, an extremely nasty and despicable act you are supposed to remember for the rest of your days. Wait, 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 wait. Can you go back just a little bit and say that last line again, where he was attacked by some enemies? Or- Velhart's brother was killed by the Academy. Bum, bum, bum. Okay, I had to get that in there. That was another contribution, which I actually actually done the first time you had done it, but I was on mute. So thank you for doing that over again. Uh, I have now contributed yet once again to the Ark the Lad 3 discussion. Well, okay, let's let's pull up a random screenshot of the game, and we'll have you give us your impressions, Phil. Okay, yay! I like to do random impressions. I, I will have some things to say about the next game, because I have actually next game, so it isn't going to be like totally dry for Phil. All right, so oh, where's, yes. where's my random screenshot? Just link I'm, me. I'm pulling it up for you. All right. Yay, random screenshot. Woohoo! I blame our site for the way it once did these things by having each screenshot be a separate link. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Eh, heck with it. I'm, I'm tired of looking through these here. You can... So, Arc, that three... So, take that one. Go. All right, we're going to take... So, we're pulling this up here, and oh, my God, my eyes are... <laughs> I... 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 I, this is PlayStation 1 era, so I, I will say I've seen worse, but... It's those oh, 3D backgrounds. It's the 3D backgrounds again, yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh... I mean, even the characters are... Gosh, they, they look so much less... Oh, detailed? Pretty? Than Ark the Lab 1? Just, uh... Yeah, looking a little bit less like 
Chrono Trigger and a little bit more like Xenogears. You know, yeah, I that's like you right. Xenogears, but yeah, I don't right. like the look of Xenogears half the time. You know what? I'm I'm right there with you, Nathan. The game was the game was very interesting, but the graphics in that game, being an early PlayStation One RPG, I remember. I still remember the graphics of Xenogears to this day because my eyes were. I had to call nine one one at one. Okay, yeah, Xenogears. Like I like you so much, but I don't know what's going on with these sprites. They don't make no sense to me. Is that I'm supposed to be ahead? How does that one look, Phil? I gave you a second shot. So we got a second screenshot here, and we should probably post it on the forum, too, so you guys can see it, or you can just Google things. But uh, in the second screenshot, so we've got a couple of characters now facing me, which they weren't facing me before, and I can see their quote-unquote faces. These are just a... What was the game with the... Whatever that game was. That which name shall not be spoken. (laughs) These are only a tiny bit step above, because there is still no discernible nose or mouth, but I'm guessing those black things that's underneath their hair is, in fact, their eyes. Um, and yeah. uh, well, okay, this fight aren't so bad. I've seen worse, but oh yeah, yeah. I it's suppose not... we should mention that instead of the game, we are you are deliberately not mentioning the title of. These are much smaller percentages of the screen. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It isn't like their horrific no nose faces <laughs> is taking up seventy percent of the screen. Yeah, this is only like their faces only a couple pixels tall. You can forgive a few off the, the detail. They're, they're more detailed than let's say. I want to say they're more detailed than let's say Wild Arms. Uh, yeah, well, what arms is sprite? It was polygons. These are at least these are actual sprites. These are actual sprite sprites. So I mean, it, it does look better, but for sprites, they, yeah, they should do. On the PlayStation One era, yeah. I mean, gosh, fi- yeah. I can't remember for- if they even animate as well as the first two games. Because you know, this is the first two games actually look really good. Seeing they're animating on the attack style. Mm. Yeah, you don't get any of those crazy, awesome critical animations anymore. Darn. I mean, remember how well animated and beautiful the Chrono Trigger sprites were, and those were the four? Yeah. Four years before this was made, actually, yeah. But I will give it this. It looks a lot better than many other PlayStation games of 1999. Yeah. Yeah, duh, yeah. No, definitely. It does, it's not visual perfection, but it's not that. In that last picture, there's a fair amount of gray and brown and dull colors, but I can even forgive that because this takes place in a world that suffered a pretty severe knock. So, dull colors actually kind of fit the surroundings. It, I'm watching I'm watching a combat uh, take place on you, uh, some gameplay action on there, and, and the animation is, isn't too bad. It doesn't quite have that charm uh, of the first one, but you are getting, you know, still plenty of frames of you do their attacks and stuff. So it and just it's it just really fast. Yeah, it's, it's definitely moving a lot faster than one. Oh my gosh, one was. Um, yeah. like if know. I have to watch that Silver Noah takeoff animation for time. Uh, <laughs> Come uh, now, I'm sure there was a very important reason we had to watch that every time you had to go anywhere uh, to add a whole ten minutes or so to your playtime. So uh, let's get this one wrapped up because we got two super excellent to talk about. Well, one, um, of them, one of them is worth talking about. That's right. I'm just I'm just <laughs> testing your knowledge. Uh, so, is there anything else y'all would like to say about Ark the Legend? No, I mean it's a solid game. It's not gonna be anyone's greatest ever list, but it's still fun game. That you know, I think it's probably my favorite of the first three. So. I think yeah, I'd I'd probably go with that too because th- this mission structure just really addicted me. So and the fact that I missed one mi- particular mission because its window for acquisition is so small kind of ticks me off. But, and uh, you know the feelings, you know. Like I do all these missions, I enjoy all these missions, and I look back at record, and apparently I missed one. It's like, darn it! Some other hunter took that mission. What? I when? But yeah, I 
for being it's more concise than the second game. If you're try, even if you're trying to do everything, you're probably not going to exceed about sixty hours where you'll go over that for the second game. And it may not be well. I I I can live without core involving narrative at, if the game is strong on top of it. And this one gave me that. Um. So now now here's a question. Um. If um. If I buy off, if I'm looking at the PlayStation Network, they're probably going to take a shot in the dark here and guess about 10 bucks a pop. Um, and I believe they're sold set. What, uh, should I get all three would be your recommendation for the typical RPG backtrack fan out there? Or should I just those last two or just the second? What, what, what do you think? That's a tough one. I mean, only buy the first if you plan on playing through all three. It's a clear recommendation. Yeah, if you buy the first, then... Your, fit, your clear data can be imported to the second one, and you'll get good stuff out of it. And then you can carry the data from the second to third, I believe. I don't know what you, you get out can. of it. You Based on my own observations, I really don't know. I think Tasha's level goes up 10, and so does Shu's level. So instead of being level 40, level, Shu is level 50 when he joins you. For yeah, the manual is that you see certain scenes only if you carry over the data. I don't know. Maybe it, it happens. The, the game doesn't make it obvious. Like, like yeah. here is a special scene that you would not have seen if you had not imported data. Yeah. So I would have to play through it again without importing anything to know what's different, and that's a pretty big commitment. Yeah. Now let's just say I don't have a PlayStation Three um, or a PSP because that's the, the two systems I believe play that on the PlayStation. I played it on the. I played the first one on the PSP. Um, and I want to get the PlayStation for You can get those brand new, because <laughs> RPG Backtrack fans only buy brand new in the shrink wrap, uh, for $129 plus shipping and handling. Yeah, that's more reasonable than some things I've heard for... Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not too bad. Uh, you can get it used for about 55 ish on up. Is it worth $55 on up? Well, I mean, whatever's worth it to a person. What is is it I worth it? Is it, for... is it worth it to you, Nathan? Hey, don't ask me. I'm the guy who's willing to pay that for just about anything. So, <laughs> like, I, I buy new stuff. I always regret some of these purchases. Is this one that I mean, you? I don't really regret that but is, much. Is this one that you would regret if you had paid fifty five dollars for? I, I mean, I probably paid that much for the original. It was worth more. I mean, fifty five dollars is worth. So I don't know. It's okay. You get three for this whole thing. It's like you know. It's, we're talking about, you know, you get basically four games in one package. It's a good deal no matter what you look at it. Yeah, I I would say that these games offer better value for your money than many others I can think of. Yeah. And if what we have described here sounds at all enticing, and, you know, there are some people for whom the working designs label alone is enough to go, I gotta try that, they will most likely not disappoint you. They will probably not leave you thinking that best tactical game on the PlayStation and if you do think that, I will be very curious to hear your reasoning. But I certainly got a lot of good time out of them. Yeah, and it sounds like I just need to just, gosh, got to sit down and finish one because I'm halfway through it, and, and then I can get on to the good ones, it sounds like. But it sounds like it sounds like two is better than three. Is that right? I honestly uh, no. had a little more fun with three than two. Yeah, honestly, I'd say three is more fun with two. Mm. I think two has a much – it's a very strong start – but it's kind of a weak middle that kind of really drags it down. So. Also, you know what 3 does in its inventory arrangement? Not only can you carry unlimited items, but you also have a storage shed if you want to make use of it. I mean, isn't that awesome? Yeah, mm. so 3 just has better, I guess, 
quality of life improvements to the game, I guess. <laughs> Fair I enough. should mention one one interesting thing about two that I forgot to mention earlier. One, you get your butt kicked in combat, you get a game over. Two, if you get your butt kicked in combat, which I mostly had happen when Shu goes solo and I was trying to take on some fairly tough hunter missions, what happens? You lose half your money. That's it, though. Just like Shining Force. And mm. I kind of like that. Hmm. All right. Well, um, thank you guys so very, very much. But we still got two more games to talk about, plus a final lap. So I'm going to take a tiny little break to uh, watch this really cool Mr. Mosquito video I've just found. Uh, apparently it's a PlayStation 2 <laughs> game, and it was linked right after the Ark the Lad game. And he is now hovering over a sleeping Asian woman getting ready to suck her blood. Yes, I remember hearing about that game. Your entire goal is to successfully bite people with your mosquito. So uh, I think I'm going to take a little break while I watch this, and we'll be right back to continue our discussion on the Ark the Lad series. Welcome back. So we move on to a new era. We move on to the PlayStation 2 and a new Ark the Lad game called Twilight of the Spirit. Now, this one's developed by a new company, Cattle Call. Now, you just know it's going to be good when it's made by a company called Cattle Call, right? Absolutely. Published by Sony Computer Entertainment, released in Japan March 20, 2003, and just a few months later in North America on June 25th of the same year. This is a tactical RPG single-player experience. So, uh, I I actually did, did play this one, but this was, well, geez, this, was, this is pushing over a decade now, so we all know how great my memory is on anything story-related, unless it's mind-blowing like Final <laughs> Fantasy VI. Uh, yeah, this my, really touches my memory of the story. Yeah, so usually that means the story was so mediocre, I was just enjoying the gameplay and pushing forward. Okay, okay so I, I've got some strong memories of the story. Most of my st- memories aren't very good ones. Oh, okay, so maybe it's not even mediocre. It sucks. So, uh, who <laughs> wants, I, I, that, who well, wants to talk about the story? You go first, Nathan, if you want to. Okay, okay. my this game is very bipolar, I suppose, because this is a game with two different protagonists. We have the human Karg and... The Deimos Dark. You see, because this is a world in which there are two kinds of people. There's humans who are, you know, humans. We all know them. And there's also the Deimos, which are they're like humans. They got stuff like wing or horns. Yeah, there, there like are multiple subspecies of Deimos. There are Generally, the, there are the, there are the ones with wings stuff. who can yeah. fly. There are the the canine like ones. There are the the orcons who seriously they have tails that come out of from between their shoulder blades that looks very uncomfortable. And they've got horns. Yes, yes, they have horns, and if they're female, then they have horns in a spe- in a very si- specific area to prevent this game from getting a, a higher rating. Uh, they are the, there are the insect like ones that live in insect fashion that got a queen, uh, and I think there's another species, but I don't remember it right now. Yeah. So 
all of these being sort of like them who encounter who some people have joined that in the Deimos party who are not quite Deimos but similar like weird demon beings or plant person or Babadora whatever she is yeah she's not a Deimos she's not a human I don't I don't really know what she is yeah um so yeah so basically you know th- these people live separately very much so uh, they've developed very different societies. Humans have all fancier equipment, weapons, and technology, and they use powerful special attacks based off of something. Never spirit stones. That. Spirit stones. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Everything in this game is fueled by spirit stones. And Which is you know, a gameplay demo- mechanic that is quite interesting, actually. Yeah. And you know, the demos, they don't have all advanced technology, but they have magic and brutal societies, slavery. And, you know, these two people do not get along at all. And Karg's, and you start the game with well Karg's perspective as he, you know, I don't even remember what he's up to. I just remember that his chapters are short as a whole. Mostly, yeah. Of course, has all he, of the chapters are fairly short if you try and steamroll through them. Yeah, but I must remember the demos chapters to be a bit longer, uh, which perhaps helps with the fact that well, anyways, Karg is unspeakably boring. Actually, <laughs> he's an incredibly generic character at first, who has no particular. Notable qualities, surrounded by other people who have no particular remarkable qualities. So I hardly remember anything about him, <laughs> at least for the early part of his story. The only thing that's a strong thing is that everyone's a racist. Everyone hates the Tamos horribly, and yeah, sometimes they do. good reason, sometimes less good reason, and as a whole, there's a lot of hate. And the main thing about Karg is he's often some adventuring. I think there's some evil Empire soldiers he has to deal with, and he suddenly uses magic out of nowhere, even though that's not something humans do. So everyone says, oh, hey, you're like Ark and have spirit magic. That's this thing from long ago. And he's like, okay, cool, that's it. it you know, there's no explanation whatsoever why he'd have spirit magic. No spirits appear before him. And so eventually, yeah, his story continues, and the torch is passed off to the first Dark chapter, and you meet Dark, who is a winged Deimos, who is stuck as a slave to another guy, and basically his life sucks. Girl. Ate... It, it's, some, it's some old lady hag thing. I, okay, I yeah. Or I an old lady exactly. hag in the Deimos sense. She, she was... If you look at her by human standards, you'll honestly have no idea what she is, I think. Yeah. But she treats and... him like dirt. Yeah, she treats him like dirt. Everyone treats him like dirt, but, you know, he hates this. He wants to improve his lot in life, so he keeps working at it. It, it makes him alliances with some other people, but, you know, someone betrays him and rips his wings off, and he gets pissed about this, picks up a sword and shanks the guy. You'd think basically... that these wings were powerful enough to carry him through the air, and he's the size of a human. You'd think he would have suffered more permanent damage if those were just ripped out of his body. Yeah, well, he... Well, he certainly looked like it hurt, so... It did, but I... Ah, it's just me. Maybe, okay. maybe maybe it only hurts for a little while if somebody rips out your wings, and you can get over it quickly and regain the ability to use your shoulders where those wings used to be after half an hour or so of Band-Aids. Yeah, well, I don't, it definitely is a little... They he does recover a bit fast, but there's a more extreme example of something like this later, but... Oh, yes. So... Yeah, so, yeah. So, he basically, Dark just picks up a human sword, or an armor, learns, spontaneously learns human combat skills, and combines them with his own magic, and, you know, kills the guy who's basically the king of the realm he's in, and in doing so, becomes king himself. And as a soul, 
and as a whole, his story is actually kind of interesting because he's this dark hero who, you know, his life sucks. He's basically climbed his way out of it, and he's rather sympathetic and interesting. At the same time, he's ambitious and cruel. He's an interesting character, like the total opposite of Carr, who's incredibly <laughs> boring. I mean, he also hates humans, but you know, everyone does, as among the demos, and as everyone hates everyone in this game. And so you, then you go back to Karg's chapter, and then you come back to Dark's chapter, which, you know, Dark's basically king in his second chapter. Karg, I can't remember his second chapter at all. As I said, he does not stick out. Uh, let's see, his his first chapter ends with uh, the, the wolf character, remember him? Yeah, the wolf character killed his kind of not-quite-girlfriend's so, family, I believe. Yeah, and then in turn, somebody on Karg's team killed the wolf fellow's wife and child, so he has yeah. a vendetta against humans forever, which means he will join Dark eventually. Yeah. Um, let's see, Karg, second chapter. I think that had to do with trying to find a new spirit stone source, which, you know, that's that's inherently gripping right there. Yeah. I, I, I love stories where we go scouting for new natural resources. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dark is dealing with emissaries. Oh, 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 L- Lilia. I think she shows up somewhere around then. Yeah, okay. Her is which this spawns, uh, which spawns the, I think the only battle in the game that gave me a game over because Lilia will try to run away while you are supposed to protect her, and she might just do a stupid thing and wander into the zone where all the enemies can attack her and bam. Yeah, over. okay, Lilia. This character is the only thing I can say about her is I hate her with a passion. She's a horrible <laughs> character. She's basically a Mary Sue character that everyone loves, everyone falls in love with, and she's always perfect and telling people how to make their lives better. And yeah, Dark meets that, her too, and. Dark also kind of likes her. Yeah, Dark also kind of likes her, and she tries to tell, she tries to tame Dark's more ambitious, cruel side and bring over like humans. And okay, I just she's the kind of character I hate. Incredibly shallow, Mary character. So when you say you hate, does that mean you really like her? What's it sound like? I mean, well, oh, you know, she has, hair, she has you... hair that makes it look like she walked straight out of the '60s. It could be a love, <laughs> could be a love-hate relationship. Who knows? No, I, no, I reserve love-hate relationships for other things. Like, I don't know. Not this character. Many things, just not this. Yeah, I, I've noticed in the past that when people say hate without appending it with any other adjectives, it generally does mean hate. Might just be me, though. So, yeah. I mean, it's basically the story keeps ping-ponging between Karg and Dark's chapter. There's this stuff happens, an evil empire shows up, which... I don't remember the name of it, but all I remember is a really... Dillsweld. Yeah. It's kind of See, stupid. Well, Dillsweld is... Honestly, it makes me think of pickles. <laughs> yeah, it's the Pickle Empire, which isn't quite as awesome as the Thirst Quencher Empire, but few things can be quite as awesome as Brave Fencer Musashi. And, yeah, because you are fighting an evil empire, get ready to fight the troops of the evil empire. They don't come in a whole lot of varieties, but you will know them very well by the time you are done with the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like this is it. Like Romali again, it's returned to the vaguely Nazi-like villains and who do lots of evil experiments. Yep. Because uh, Deimos are not human, so th- we can do whatever we want with them. Yeah, and actually one of these scientists will actually join Karg's team. It's actually one of the more interesting characters in it, I believe. Yeah, Tatjana no... is... Well, her joining is interesting just by how it's conveyed through the game which is uh, she has a headset on to convey that she's in the chain of command and when she joins Karg she takes her microphone off and throws it on the ground I think she's trying to say something (laughs) 
Yeah, and I mean, man, I can't even remember most of his team. Like, there's a Paulette. Paulette, yeah, Paulette the, who, the girl who she, really likes him, who, and he never responds. Yeah, who never responds. Who her family's involved with the battle, the slaughter against the wolf people, and her own family is killed in the return. And yep, she's she's, she's a, filled with hate. Yeah, she's filled with hate, and she's a whip knife, which is it's a weird little weapon. I always, th- I know it's not, but it looked like a super deadly yo-yo to me. <laughs> it's fundamentally how she uses it. It's just yeah. stabs with a yo-yo. Um, and then there's Gans, the ex-army guy who also hates the Deimos. Big shocker there. Yeah. And wears army fatigues, or at least for pants. And um, I guess he's been out of the army a little while because he's got quite a bit, quite a build on his midsection now. <laughs> and there's Maru. The self-proclaimed... Actually, he's not self-proclaimed. He actually is a prince. Uh, he likes to hide behind a jungle mask. He likes to play some kind of Tarzan out in the woods. And, and he is not consumed with hate. That will become critical in a certain battle. And that's, that, that's the human cast. Yeah. The Deimos cast is dark. Then there's... Uh, Dilma? Dilma? Yeah, something like that. Who... Yeah, to... Well, the younger sister of the king, Dark Kills. She teams up with Dark early on, but then she, he kills her brother and then throws her in jail, and then they team up again. And and she and, she does, in fact, betray him much later in the game, which should come as a shock to no one, because she openly stated, I hate your guts, and I'm going to get you when I first have a chance. Yeah. They're consistent. People yeah. hate each other. By the standards of the demos, that was positively devious, the way she didn't immediately attack him, but waited for an <laughs> opportunity. Uh, then there's... Yeah, I mean, by the demo standards, you know, it's saying beforehand, she, and, and that I'm going to kill you before she actually does so, it's just being quite civil. Yeah. Uh, Volk, that's his name. The the canine-looking yeah. fellow whose wife and child were killed by humans, so he's got a pretty good vendetta. Then there's Camellia, who she looks... Was... She's all head for a long time. Yeah. All head shriveled up ugly thing who is only turned that way because she's experimented on by a certain mad scientist party member of the Karg's team. And late in the game she gets turned back and wow what a difference. I I mean the difference is amazing. <laughs> Suddenly she no longer looks like some old freaky Yaga that has been left out to dry in the Ukraine for 200 years. Suddenly she looks like a woman who happens to have flower a flower instead of hair and a gown that appears to be made out of some kind of green flower. Well, you know what? Okay. And her voice changes completely, too, which helps make the transformation seem even more dramatic. And last, there's Baby Dora. Who is the creepy girl thing who... I believe her face is hiding behind a mask all the time. Well, her, her eyes are. Her head. Yeah. And it's not a mask, it's just that her hat is so big it droops down over her face. Mm-hmm. And Baby Dora is... Uh, some kind of ancient creation of somebody. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a more detailed explanation, but I really don't remember what it is. I don't know. Maybe she's a surviving chimera from Archelad 2 or something. That's a good explanation. Anything else. Yeah, I should mention that I played this one first. So, ah. in retrospect, I can see that there are a bunch of references to the earlier games, but at the time, I didn't get them. Yeah, there's a lot of you can revisit a lot of areas across the games, and this one it's a long time later. And everything's changed, but you can still see recognizable areas from the older games quite often. It's kind of a cool touch. Like the home of the wind tra- people is like right next to Romalia, I believe. That sounds right because 
you go through a lot of the same places in the last game we'll talk about, and I recognized them because I actually did play this one last. But that's getting off topic. Let's let's not go there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you've got uh, five characters on each team, and who at all have very personal reasons to hate each other. I believe everybody in. Yes, they do. There is a battle in which Karg's team is trying to get. Uh, I think it was trying to get around the Dillsweld Empire, and the only way to do that is to go through a certain monastery, which you will recognize if you played the earlier games, and thus I now do. And at first, they're able to win easily, but then the chief monk of the place uses some spell that causes all of the people who have hidden hatreds to just freak out and become completely unreliable, and only Maru is able to withstand it, so he has to take on five people solo in the second phase, which is kind of hard. And I think we're skipping over something kind of important, which is the fact that, you know, there's a little secret to Karg and Dark. That <laughs> Shall we go into obvious? it now? Might as well. Karg and Dark are actually brothers. Yes, Not half-brothers, Karg... not blood-brothers, not some kind of spiritual brothers. They're just flat brothers. I think twin brothers. Yes, because Karg's mother... Karg and Dark's mother found uh, a Deimos, and I forget his name because he dies really early on in a flashback. Uh, Windolf, I believe. Sounds right. And what do you know? They just they just really really clicked because they found themselves on Crag Island, I think it is, just someplace out of the way where none of the normal concerns of the world could bother them, and they weren't forced to deal with all these pressures society puts on them, humans. Deimos and Bygum, they really, really liked each other, but didn't quite go right. And this is revealed, I think, uh, at the end of one of their first chapters, that, what? Karg and Dark share the same ring. What does that mean? Well, you already know, because we told you, but the game (laughs) will eventually tell you, in case this somehow escaped your your notice. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you know, they don't look at all alike at first, but, you know, the basic thing is that the more you use magic, apparently, the more uh, they look like the, the, the Karg or Dark look like the Daimos. So, you know, Dark was using his power salt earlier, so he got through wings early. But Karg, he only starts using his magic a bit later on, but it's not spirit magic, it's his Daimos power. So, yeah, at one point, he just pops out wings. Just well, that, that happens Guys. after some characters start spitting out. They've learned. They've learned his heritage. That his mother did the unthinkable. She and a Deimos were together. <gasps> and everybody just starts getting up in a screaming mob and yelling at him. And that somehow yeah. pa- causes wings to pop out of his back. And the next time Heck. you see Kark, he's hacking those wing, those newly sprouted yeah, wings out of his out back. his own wings. Also, like, I-, I refuse to be a Deimos, so I'm going to rip my own wings off, kind of. Which also sounds the en- like it hurts. I think it would, but he's just so mad that it doesn't affect him. Also, that would be really hard to do physically, especially yeah. after you've gotten one wing off and you're trying to use your very, very painful shoulder to try and attack the other one. Just a thought. Yeah. yeah. Plus, these wings, they're magic wings, I guess, because they're somehow able to push through his clothes, and then when he hacks them off, they leave no visible signs that they were ever there. Yeah. Pretty thorough cutting them off, so he just you know he can wear his normal same shirt as ever, which apparently wasn't destroyed when they ripped their way out of his out of his bag somehow. Obviously, the fabrics they are using are so good that they can handle this kind of thing. Maybe the Hulk should u- should look into this kind of wardrobe. <laughs> um, and let's see. Yes, our Dillsweld Empire is pretty much our standard evil empire. 
with an evil emperor, and I don't remember his name, but it also starts with D and has eight letters. Uh, it's, it's not Dillsville. Darkham, I believe. He's Emperor Darkham. That sounds right, yes. Thank you. Dark Ham. That's his name. Uh, and he pretty much seems like your standard evil guy up until you beat the crap out of him in battle and learn his story, which is actually that it actually does a pretty good job of humanizing him. He used to be a weakling. He came for help one day because Deimos were attacking his town, and he got absolutely nothing from this this council of the world's nations. And I don't know if this is a dig at the UN or not, but this council just bickers with itself all the time, and it can only resolve on the most minute things that affect absolutely nothing. So once he gains a super powerful weapon, his first act is to blow that council off the map. And I actually sympathize with him more than with the council, because there was actually exactly one person on that council who came alive, and I think she got out of there real fast. So everybody else was a worthless bureaucrat who deserved death. Huh. But then, the two teams meet up, and they've been meeting up all along, all through the game. But now, business. And you get to choose the team you want to have fight. And then you get to beat up your other team. Which is actually a memorable battle. You don't get to do that very often in games. But then you learn the whole truth. This guy who's been wandering around and apparently facilitated all of this is some earthly representation of... Where's Phil? I guess he's not ready. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. Damn you, button. I'm sitting here da-da-daing and <laughs> no one's getting excited. It's the dark one. Bum, bum, bum. And his plot was to have people hate each other because... Deimos count as people, according to him. He somehow had de- the Deimos come into being over the years, specifically so that they and reg- and otherwise normal-looking people would get mad at each other and hate would spread all over the world. And he's able to use these horrible feelings because, you know, the people on each team really don't like each other, and that's just a manifestation of the hate all over the world. And he unseals the floating castle from the Ark. And bam! There's the floating castle again. What do you get to do now? Well, your teams go through it separately, and then they unite. And you get to go through the whole floating castle again and fight the Dark One, who is not as annoying as he was in the second game, but he's still kind of annoying because he has a horrible, horrible move that seems to replenish tons of his HP. So I used the super long but also effective method of having my two super long-ranged people, Maru and Camellia, shoot at him from a very far distance while my other people stayed out of range so that they did not trigger his HP resupplying attack. And of course he's a gigantic eyeball again, because why not? And everybody's happy at the end, I guess. We've magically resolved most of the problems afflicting the world because of human Deimos relations. Maybe. I don't know. How is it even supposed to work? Uh, because people learn very quickly and can change on the spin of a dime. I don't know. So I, I've left out number, a number of junctures along the way, not least the fact that Lilia's father joins Karg for a little while and is kind of a cool Corsair-type dude with wielding double pistols. But uh, that's that's the general storyline, along with Tatjana joining you, who was your your foe at the beginning and joins you after the Emperor abandons her in a volcano because it's suited his purpose at the time. And of course, she and the Emperor are the only people with names in the entire Empire. Everybody else is just a drone. Or Camellia okay. finding getting her her form restored and... Well, you know what? You'll kind of understand why 
she was so insistent upon doing it after you see the result. Okay, so Mike, you've, according to the timer on the recorder here, y'all, have, which mostly you've been driving this, have been talking about the story for 25 minutes now. And, and you've been putting a lot of energy and passion into it. And for that, I thank you. It's still boring as hell. <laughs> so I let's. Think that would, I think that would substantiate Nathan's point of view for Karg. Then, so so let's move yeah. on. Let's move on to something that's not so boring. Let's talk about the gameplay, and 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 I'll just I I'll, I can wrap this up for y'all in like a sentence or three. And, and and everyone knows who's listened to this podcast. You've heard me talk several times about one of my favorite games, Breath of uh, Fire Five Dragon Quarter. It's like pretty much it's very similar. Free forming tactical combat with no grid. Essentially, you can you got a radius thingy showing you where your character can move on his turn. When you do when you go to do your an attack, usually it'll show you a cone. Or if you're shooting like a bow and you have an attack that goes through enemies, you'll see a straight line and a radius around you. You can rotate it around you so you can maneuver yourself at just the right angle, light up those bad guys, and in a very satisfactory execution you know shoot two of them or three of them in a row it's that type of stuff it's very reminiscent of, of Dragon Quarter and I love it you know I'm not sure if I'd compare this game to Dragon Quarter of all things it's such a high level but yeah it, it does have some similar elements it's a it's not so grid restricted to grids after all because it's kind of yeah there, there are no physical. grids in this one at all yeah grid free you just have a, a circular range you can move along and that allows you to fine tune your movement pretty well, because a lot of a lot of your attacks can affect more than one thing. If you just take the time to position it just right, then you can find that your sword just whacks two things simultaneously, or your pullet's yo-yo of death is able to hit through two things if you go from a certain angle. It's I like the combat system in this game quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah. I had to go back and watch the videos to remember it, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was it was good enough to carry me through the game because Lord only knows the story. Well. Yeah, I think that, you know, you know, it, it doesn't strike out as memorable to me, but at the same time, you know, my because it's just overshadowed by some how weird the story was. But uh, yeah, I guess I don't recall the. It certainly didn't hate the fighting. Well, I also remember the interesting aspect of the spirit stones. Uh, you don't have MP in the standard sense in this game. Instead, you, all of your abilities use these spirit stones, and unless you equip an item to increase how many you can hold at once, you have generally, I think, 70 of them from beginning to end of the game, but you kill enemies or you break things on the field, then you can regain spirit stones. And that actually adds a very interesting mechanic that I can't think of another game offhand which also used, where... Yeah, it's a rather interesting resource mechanic. It's pretty unique. And you can also buy them, which it might not be a wise use of your limited funds when you can with patience get some from battles, but it is an option if you need to stock up just in case you're going to go through a really hard fight and blast through them and need to replenish yourself afterwards. Did I... Did we already run through Phil's take on the battle system? Yeah, Phil's takes are always pretty okay. No, it's... No, it's just... All I can tell you is that it was a lot of fun, unfortunately, being 10 years ago. I don't remember the nuances. Uh, I remember the free... Yeah, after watching the video course, I was reminded of the free-form combat lining things up. Again, just... At first blush, it reminded me of playing Breath of Dragon Quest. But uh, I remember, I remember once I saw, it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this was this was actually pretty solid." The the enemies um, that I was reminded of watching the video were a bit dorky looking. Uh, some sort <laughs> of uh, look like a tribal men wearing funny masks and just very butt ugly. Um, but 
but the combat itself was yeah it's tactical it's what we love uh with or without the grid it's gonna you know it's worked i i think without the grid you, you you feel a little bit more engaged when you can line up that perfect shot or you know a couple of enemies get close are silly enough to get close together and you can bring your fighter around and get a couple of them in, in a cone attack or something along those lines is always is always more fun it felt like it felt like it had more options than let's say the typical arc the lad game with a grid base where you're pretty much just hitting the guy in front of you or your wizard may have his one you know air of a, you know a couple of area effect attacks but uh here it seems like more characters even the melee characters will have more options than what they would have in the in the first game yeah i can see that and I like more options. More options are good. Yeah. So you have too many options. Which point it's like, what do I do? Then it's option overload. And pretty much all of your abilities also affect a certain range. So you'll need to hopefully get everybody in the correct range or else, oopsie, you won't be able to heal everything. Yeah. And enemy casters probably like it when you bunch up all together. They do, but, you know, you're also able to quickly heal back from that if you... Uh, there are some cramped areas, of course, where you're going to have to bunch together or deliberately go the long way. But mm-hmm. you know what? It, it's it, Having to think about that is something I'm willing to do because it's not something that every game is going to force you to do. And again, it's just like the first three games, combat is really fast here. You can go through the standard random encounters. They're not random, but the, the non-story ones in four or five minutes, I think, maybe even less. And even the bigger encounters generally aren't that long because you move quickly around the battlefield, you kill things, and eventually, and you're done not long after you start, frankly. And I don't mind length necessarily in a game, but uh, it doesn't need to be long to be good. And this one, this one just did a fine job of a quick-paced tactical system that still rewarded your thinking instead of coming across as so fast that it sacrifices the necessary elements to be memorable. Nah, you, you definitely still got some tactical decision-making going on there. You still have abilities picked from, you still got to weigh cost versus risk and benefits and fun stuff. That's still all going on there. It's still one person at a time. So, I, looking at the graphics, um, PlayStation 2, pretty pretty okay for PlayStation 2. It's not going to blow you. And looking at the, and you guys, can, you, you played it more recently, Mike. I'm just looking at videos and screenshots and just being reminded that uh, nothing here is super awesome, but it's it's also not super ugly either. I mean, it's it's it looks like a typical yeah, early-ish age PlayStation 2 game to me. Yeah, it's a, more of a budget game. It's not something like Final Fantasy X or XII, the gigantic, right. know, incredible graphics, but competent. It's not, not bad. There's definitely times uh, in watching some of these scenes where you can see that the textures are just very, very lazy. Um, so, And it's actually enough for me to notice, which I'm not normally a texture freak. You rarely hear me talk about the quality of textures in games. Um, so, yeah, and there are some times where it dips so low that it's a little detracting. But for the most part, the graphics uh, get the job done. The character models are pretty decent. The monsters are ugly. Maybe that was deliberate, though. Yeah. It's almost as if you want to hate them just because they're ugly. Because anything ugly, you should hate. That is the lesson of life. Hmm. Ugliness should be beaten down wherever possible. The one thing I really can't uh, do while we're uh, talking and I'm looking at these videos, I can't really listen to the sound. How was the sound, Mike? Or I Nathan? enjoyed it, actually. I I thought the sound was nicely varied, and a lo- most of the tracks were quite good. There are a couple that I immediately remember 
and apparently the official soundtrack for this thing didn't include all of them, so wonder, the wonders of YouTube allow you to listen to all of them, even in spite of that. Uh, Glorious YouTube, great soundtrack options. There is voice acting in battle, and I thought it was solid enough. This one, the voices have actually been dubbed over. So you there is, there are also a saying. very... Sorry. You'll never defeat me! <laughs> or Tatyana. Tatyana? Tatyana? I don't know. Her her slogan stuck with me because they are kind of funny if you look at them in the right way. Magic is no match for science. Look, but don't touch. Uh, and then there are a very few cutscenes with voice acting. Probably less than five minutes of them if you stitch the whole game together. Most of it's dialogue with text, which might have been a reason for its sales not overwhelming people at the time, because, you know, everybody was all about the voice acting then. But... Maybe having text some of the time move at your own pace isn't such a bad option. Just a thought. Uh, so yeah, I I thought the soundtrack was quite good. So the voice acting got the dot and got the job done. The visuals again get the job done. They they're not eye searing by by PS2 standards, nor are they going to. Well, it doesn't look as good as Final Fantasy X, but. Most companies, aside from Square Enix, don't necessarily push the graphics budget that high. Really? So it sounds... It, it sounds like overall... Um, we enjoy the game? You know, yes. I, think, I, I enjoyed the dark chapters quite much, actually. The card ones, you get, you get to them quickly so you can get back to the dark ones. That's my opinion. I don't quite see all the game all the way through. I, I, I found dark section more interesting, but the gameplay was enough to carry me through all of it even though this is much lighter on side quests than 2 and 3 were. Yeah, no great hunter system. Though I gather if you... Apparently Choco and Diekbeck are somewhere in the game. Or There are a couple of optional characters, and since I didn't get them, it requires you to go through an idiotic number of arena matches in order to unlock them. I didn't bother. <laughs> oh, but, man, it's Archlad went all over it. <laughs> but they're in here. If, if you want to put out the effort, you can. I didn't. So uh, let's let's uh, let's and, and I believe uh, I can double check, but like you said, that game is probably pretty cheap to get on Half.com, Twilight, Arc, Arc. I think I found it for either three or five bucks at a pawn shop last year, and two dollars. <laughs> I got a copy here for two dollars, but of course, RP gamers want to buy it. You know, our listeners want to buy branding a shrink wrap, and you get that for only like sixteen plus shipping. So. Yeah, you could get a like new copy for only five dollars, but why do that when you get the fresh shrink wrap around it for like an extra twelve? Anywho, um, it, it it may not be expensive, but it is a good game. Good game. So there you go. But but now let's let's take a look at what we've talked about tonight as we as we get for like pushing close to three hours now. So we started off with Arc the Lad one, which we weren't super thrilled about. Moved on to two and three, and and as we've gone through the night, you guys have sound more and more positive as we go along. A little hesitation about the story in the in the last game, but generally everyone likes the the gameplay. Not you know not too much bad things going on there. So, but the one thing I've noticed is that as we've also gone along, not only have you guys enjoyed the game more, but the one thing I keep hearing over and over again is the games are getting faster. You know, that first one was just dreadfully slow, and the second one picked it up, and the third one picked up, and the fourth one picked it up. But now we're at the fifth one, and we're like, how? And I'm sure the developers are sitting around tables like, how can we, you know, people are liking our games, they're liking our sequels. What do we need to keep doing to make this even better? Oh, I know, let's make it a little faster. 
Let's let's just you know, but that darn tactical stuff it gets in the way of being too fast. Let's just throw that out the window and let's make it an action RPG. How awesome is that? People love action RPGs. I mean, Diablo is just off the sales charts. I mean, people play that game for hours and hours and hours and hours, right? That's an action RPG. Let's do something like that. Yeah, let's 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 call it uh, Ark the Lad, Twilight of the Sphere. No, that's the last one we just talked about. Ark the Lad, <laughs> End of Darkness. You know, they could have also subtitled this one End of Turn-Based Combat, but they didn't. They called it End of Darkness because because as we all know, slow, boring turn-based combat is akin to darkness. This was developed by our good friends at Cattle Call, uh, published here in North America by Namco. Released on the PlayStation 2 in North America on June 14, 2005, a single-player action RPG experience. And action is always more fun, more exciting. Right, guys? Now, Phil, there is actually an addendum here. This may be single-player in person, but if you've got a PS2 network adapter, you can play online with other people. Get out. It's even becoming more like Diablo. Oh, this is exciting. Or you could have, if the PlayStation 2 still had a working online network, you can't do it anymore. Well, yeah, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, let's see. This is the only art I, game to use a real-time battle system instead of tactics-based battle system. Generally, this was viewed... Oops, we won't say that out loud. Uh, it also featured online play with up to eight people uh, playing in a four-on-four deathmatch or four-player co-op. However, the servers were taken down in 2006. Well, that's a pity. Well, you can always pretend in your head. You can role-play in your head that there are other people next to you while you're playing this. How's now, that? Now, Phil, there are three boxes on the back of the case. You know how these are supposed to be the big selling point blurbs. All right. One of them is four-player online co-op. Above that is four-on-four online deathmatch. And above that, this is the first selling point that you're supposed to see. Unleash special attacks. Ooh. Wow. Special attacks you don't say. I do. Nice. This game lets you unleash special attacks. Unleash them. Not just... Not just hit people with them. You're going to unleash them like it's a beast waiting to get out of the cage. Exactly. You know what? That uh, that instantly distinguishes Ark the Lad End of Darkness from almost every other game. You never hear about special attacks in games, now do you? Mm-mm, never. This is the first time I've heard of it. Um, you know, I, I think I'd better dispense with the story fairly fast. You play Edda. Edda is the survivor of the last line of exorcists in the world. He immediately has to use his ability to exercise these things called malademons, which look just like regular enemies, except they've got black smoke coming out from them all the time. Uh, he is able to exercise them, and um, this doesn't actually play much of a role in the game until kind of the end of the story. He meets this girl named Kirika, who pops up repeatedly as he goes on his journey. And his journey is to become a hunter. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, yeah uh, so... If- this is kind of another take on the storyline of Ark the Lab 3, except if anybody thought that game's storyline moved slowly, wait until you play this one. It'll make you think Ark the Lab 3 was positively zipping along on fire. Uh, I'll get to the structure shortly. For a while, the only story missions you unlock don't really contribute to the overall story in any way. There's one that really took the cake for me. You have to... Some some girl has asked you to investigate her father, who is apparently dealing with some terrorist group called the Truth Sword, I think. Uh, he, he incidentally looks like a Romanian general or something. You initially go into his place and listen to a conversation he has, and you go back and talk with his daughter about it. 
In the conversation, he mentioned that he was going fishing. The daughter says, My father never goes fishing. He says, Why bother to fish when you can just go buy some? I don't think he was talking about fishing at all. He meant something else. And eventually you do find out that something else would... And the daughter tagged along with you, and she confronts her father. Father, why are you doing these things? You don't need to confess, give up. I'll help you as much as I can. And father just wells up with tears. He takes off his tacky Eastern European sunglasses to look at her, and he agrees. And that's the end of that mission. The story part, anyway. That was a great story. It will never be referred to again in the rest of the game. Huh? The conclusion of the game involves Kirika, whose father was a renowned scientist who went missing several years earlier. Uh, He was trying to develop some machine that would perpetually generate energy, and he could never quite get it to work, and she turned it on, and her dad got killed by it, and it's this sentient weapon reactor of some kind, and she's trying to kill it herself, but what do you know, her weapon is actually faulty, so comes right back to life and Edda has to kill it. And of course, it's since it's a maladeemon of some kind, he has to exercise it. Uh, they kind of have another meet-cute because their relationship has been steadily growing and wins. And You've met, by the way, four of the five human leads from Twilight of the Spirits along the way, but all of them have responsibilities now which prevent them from helping you along with this. I don't know why. Apparently, if you're a really respected leader in ancient times, that means you have to sit tight and watch your people instead of going out and solving problems like medieval leaders actually did. Um, and if you go on after the credits, you will eventually find a that Kirika wanders into the hometown of the Deimos that you saw and knew well from Dark's storyline. And uh, get, she promptly gets in trouble from Delma, and Volk tries to kill her, and you have to beat him up in a duel and prove that, yeah, she can stay here. Uh, Edda is not a very deep character. His trait is pretty much optimistic, plucky, he likes people, he wants to help, except when he gets downhearted for a little while, and then he's right back up again, and that just added some useless screen time. I don't necessarily want to come down on him, because he is a plucky, optimistic type, which you didn't get a whole lot of at that time, but he's pretty dull. And he has a friend! Hemo, or Hemo, the Slothian. Slothians are a species that look kind of like apes, and are about one foot tall. Don't make fun of Nathan like that. (laughs) Are you one foot tall, Nathan? I don't think so. You knew that when you you said Slothian or whatever, you knew (laughs) I was going to go there, right? Yeah, it's like, that's a little too soon. Nathan was like, dang it, that's close. He's going to jump in, isn't he? He's going to jump in, isn't he? Uh-huh. I, I'm sorry, Nathan, but no one will ever mistake you for one in real life because A, you do yeah. not pronounce your name the way Phil does, and B, you are not one foot tall. And and if y'all are feeling bad for Nathan, you want to complain to the you know the higher ups. You want to write <laughs> wheels at rpgamer.com. He takes all of our complaints. Good old wheels. Good old wheels, always there for us. Or was it? Um, or was the official mailbox complaints at rpgamer.com? That's the one that always bounces back. You send an email, it comes. Anyways, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Hemo is Edda's good friend, and I think the developers thought he was kind of funny. I never saw the humor. He's just kind of annoying. But since Edda doesn't talk a whole lot on his own, he's prompting. 
there's Hemo to do it for him. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about all he contributes to the game, except that you can go into little holes in the wall and talk to... Remember the Moflies, the things that would make floors for you from Chungar's summoning arsenal? You do, right, Ethan? Uh, sorry, what? The, the, the sort of octopus slash uh, burlap sack things that thing that would uh, make a floor for you if you if Chungara summoned it. Oh yeah, that mofi. Yeah, there are apparently a lot of them now, and they live inside holes in the wall that only Hemo can go inside so that he can talk to them, and they might tell him something useful or they might not. So it is at least that is at least somewhat different. I can't think of another game that has your very very short party member go into holes in the wall in towns to do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess I should start in on the gameplay. It's faster, it's more awesome, it's exciting, right? Actually, for an action RPG, this is remarkably slow-paced. Now, how can action RPG be slow-paced? I mean, it's in the name action. Probably because every enemy takes multiple hits to down, and you have... Edda has exactly one combo. And if you try to use the whole thing, then it takes a good five, six seconds to come out. And if he gets hit in the meantime, then he has to restart it. Uh, yeah, and a lot of enemies, unless you give yourself an accessory to up your strength above all else, then they might take a dozen or more hits to bring down. Okay, so... Oh, and of course, every time you complete the combo, you knock an enemy down, so you have to wait a few seconds for it to get up. So take notes, developers, when you're making an action RPG, slow bad, fast good. Combos, you need more than one. One combo, bad. Lots of combos, good. Oh, and I know exactly why this is, because of the online functionality, but it's long gone. So playing the game now, there's something you can't do, which I really like to do in my action games. That's pause. You can't pause in this game. What? Even when you're playing single player? No, you cannot pause. Get out. You press the start button, nothing happens. You're pulling Phil's leg. Pausing has not. pausing has been in game since Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo back in nineteen eighties. Yeah. I think that's the first one I remember the pause because I remember it's like so cool you could actually pause the game and walk away because before that I just had Atari games, uh, Atari 2600. Now there was uh, 7800 games or whatever have you. I didn't own one of those. I went over to a friend's and played them once in a while and most of the ones I played were arcade games but it's feasible some of those probably also had pause function but the first one I remember was Mario Brothers. So 1980s. Pause has been instituted since the 1980s and this game came out in the new millennium and it did not have pause. It did not. For shame. I distinctly remember, I had to sneeze during a mission. I wanted to pause, because I can pay attention to nothing when I sneeze. I couldn't pause. Wow. In towns, you can open the menu. You cannot open the menu when you're on a mission. So there is no way to pause. None. Now, I, I know, that just floored you, right, Phil? That just strikes you as one of the greatest mechanics ever, because clearly the pause button is... A crutch people are relying upon. Well, I remember this, it out from under the gamer. I, I kind of understand how it could enhance the experience getting rid of it because I remember like one time, like twelve years ago, I was playing like an action RPG and I was like slamming the buttons really, you know, hard and stuff, and I accidentally hit the start button, which totally froze my action. I was totally distraught. I mean, I was like, "Oh my god, you just totally broke my rhythm. What am I going to do now?" Thankfully, 
my friend was there and he pressed the start button again for me and I was able to get back into it. Otherwise, I would have been paralyzed for who knows how long. So I can understand why they took it out. Now, remember, of course, that this was an online game. You could go through some of the missions with other people. And I can understand why you can't pause in an online game because if you do, then you're just going to be standing there while other people are either also paused or wondering what the hell you're doing while you're sitting there not moving. But even in the story missions of Arc the Light End of Darkness, there is no pausing. You can either go hide in a corner for a while where enemies are not looking, or you can just accept that you need to go clear it right now. You have no choice. (laughs) No bathroom breaks for you. So what else? Well, you can technically play as other characters from the Arc the Lad series, quite a few of them, but only in the missions that have no plot fix elements. Lots so of characters, for, good. Um, there are no levels. There is no experience whatsoever in this game. Whoa, 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 whoa. jump back a second. What, what do you mean, no levels? I mean, you start with 600 HP, and unless you give yourself an item to increase it, you end with 600 HP. Get out. It's a role-playing game. Even even first-person shooters nowadays have experience points with levels and crap. How can you have a role-playing game without levels? Well, this one doesn't. You're pulling leg. I just played the thing. I know. Wow. Uh, here is the here is the way to improve your character. One way, different equipment. And I thought you, you. I thought you were going to say turn off the system. Well, that might do something. <laughs> it might allow you to put your time into something more useful, but it would not improve your character in this game. Mm. Oh, oh, I forgot I forgot another wonderful thing. Everybody loves it when you have exactly one save file for a game, right? Where even if you have plenty of room on the memory card, you can't save anywhere else. You're stuck to a single file. <laughs> wow. This is just racking up all the brownie points. <laughs> um, you know what, Mike? I, uh, I, oh, I, I have to mention the equipment system because it's so much fun. See, you can buy things in stores, of course. Mo- but most of them you can't equip until you go up 100 level, which is part of the story. Um, and in order to get better stuff, you have to uh, synthesize it. See, here's here's an homage to the earlier parts of the series. And um, you have to choose the right person to synthesize it. Otherwise, the items might just go completely wasted and be absolutely worthless. So if they're rare and hard to acquire, then that's just too bad for you. That is also the only reason to fight enemies, except for they're in your way. They might drop an item that you can take. Um, See, I'm just making your day, aren't I? You know, Mike, it's almost as if you're trying to paint this game in a negative light, but I know that simply can't be for several reasons. Aside from the before-mentioned, it's an action RPG, it's clearly an evolution moving forward, therefore it has to be more fun by logical extension. There's also this other fact that's staring me in the face. Metacritic. We all know that Metacritic is not dependable for game reviews, right? It's given us a really poor score of 55%. That's really terrible. But since we all know Metacritic lives in the world of Opposite Day, this is supposed to be a really awesome game, Mike. But you're trying to make it sound bad. Uh, Oh, oh, I I have to mention the combat itself because this is so much fun. Edda has that that one combo. Or he can do his other move, which does not combo. And if you start it up too soon, then you'll probably get hit out of it. Um, If you're taking on one enemy, it's pathetically easy because you can hit it. Sidestep, hit it again, sidestep, hit it again, and it will never, ever touch you. But in order to sidestep, you have to lock on the enemy. 
And doing that zooms the camera in really close so that you might not be able to see what else is around you. So if another enemy pops up, then it will hit you because you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And this dif- the difficulty of this game is actually very easy to sway in your own favor. I was screaming at it for a long time because that 600 HP vanishes pretty quickly and your cure spells will not help you too much if you're constantly getting hit by enemies that go after you while you're trying to do them. But here's the easy way. I'm telling you, everybody who plays this game, not that you necessarily should, but everybody who wants to play it, here's what you do. You craft a certain accessory that regains 10 HP every two, every three seconds. You can upgrade it to upgrade, to replenish the same amount every two seconds. And then all you got to do is stand around for a little while and you regain your life. And it works. Because bosses, actually, it I never got it... A mission failed after that, except when the game saddled me with a couple of AI companions for a couple of missions. Especially the one who had no offensive abilities of his own and tagged around after me because he was a moron. He died several times. I didn't like him. But aside from times when AI companions got in my damn way, I had no problems because that HP replenishment is all you need. Well, that and the ability to look at a fact, which I did know what the final boss is going to be, because I'd seen a review that said it was much nastier. And uh, yeah, now that I, after knowing what I was in for, I was able to beat it first try. Um, Oh yes, and the to advance the story, you have to take two types of missions. One is the type where you're just going on stupid. Here, I will go through. I will kick hay bales to guide sheep into their pen, or. I will go kill this one snake out of all these enemies running around, or uh, I have to kill... I have to capture a certain dog, whatever. Those are the kind of missions you can have anybody on. The, the story missions, those you can only have Edda on. And you have to complete two of them for each upgrade in his hunter rank. And this game goes by pretty quickly, and frankly, I was fine with that. Not that there's a game clock to let me know exactly how much time I spent. Um many, many visuals are reused wholesale from Twilight of the Spirits. The town layouts are pretty much the same. Many of the environments are almost identical. Most of the music in this game is also reused from Twilight of the Spirits. And and we know there's nothing else quite like lazy developers reusing assets from an earlier game to make you go, boy, I really liked that earlier game. What else you got, Phil? I think you pretty much wrapped it up there. You know what? what? This has do, been. Do you have anything to add, Nathan? That you'd like me to address? Oh yeah, Nathan. Do you have anything to add to all of that? Uh, no, I know that nothing about that game. I've been kind of spaced out <laughs> since I've been. I have nothing to contribute, so I've been wandering away. Sorry. Yeah. So I'll, I'll well, wrap. Have, have I done a good job in convincing you of its merits? Yeah. Well, I'm never touching it. So. <laughs> oh, but come now. You can get it for maybe six bucks instead of buying yourself a decent lunch, which six bucks would also get you. <laughs> I think they all go for me. I've got <laughs> other games to play. What's, what's sad is that End of Darkness costs twice as much as Twilight something or rather that we just talked about earlier. In fact, there's a copy and a shrink wrap here for $70. You're a real true RPG Backtrack fan if you buy End of Darkness for $70. I should mention that we have, in fact, talked about every Ark the Lad game here, except for the Wonderswan game, which I can't talk about unless somebody gives me a Wonderswan. So, 
if well, you I guess we could talk about Monster Arena a little bit, but I mean it's it, it was... a side game, Dark Blood too. So since this was, uh, so I'll, I'll end off with this. I, I know this was a bit of a stretch to listen through. We talked about a lot of Arc the Lad games in a row, and then knowing that this is the last one going into our final lap, some of you might have already hit the stop button by now, in which case you aren't listening any further, because once we got to this bad one, you're like, okay, I'm done. Click. But if you have the constitution, the intestinal fortitude to have lasted this long, then I've got a little bit of a deal for you. If you write me an email, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com, or you send me a tweet or direct message, whatever the hell it's called on Twitter, I'm jcservant there, and you said, Phil, I survived listening about about Ark the Lad and of Darkness. Okay, you don't have to say all of that. Just say, I survived the, uh, I survived Ark the Lad. And, uh, and send that to me, the first person who does that. They'll get a free copy of Sacred, a really fun action RPG that's a lot more fun than what they try to do to the poor Ark the Lad series. Yes. Have we picked? Have we made the impression that maybe Cattle Call should have stuck to a tactical format instead of branching out to something it had no experience with? Every once in a blue moon, that kind of works, like with Fallout, but for the most times, it doesn't work. And this is also, just... I don't think Cattle Call has made anything since this game. I can't imagine why. Uh, so yes, uh, you you are a very sacred person if you lasted this long. So shoot me off a direct message, and I will send you off a copy of Sacred uh, via the GOG network. I love GOG. I'll continue to pimp GOG because I love DRM free games, and they do a lot of retro games, so they're just completely right up my alley. Anywho, well, thank you so much, uh, gentlemen. We're going to take another break and come back and wrap this painful ending up with hopefully something a little bit more cheerful on the final lap. Return. This is the final lap. This is where we read your comments. We tell you what's coming up. We tell you what we're playing and messing around with, etc., etc. It's kind of late, so I'm going to have to rush through some of these comments a little, little faster than I normally would like to. Um, so our next uh, show is RPG Backtrack number 122. Follow the Captain Shepard. Well, we'll be talking about Mass Effect 1 and its various DLC, Bioware, and a sci-fi future action spectacular. You can expect that next week on the RPG Backtrack. If you have I quest- understand you have recently been playing it in some fashion, so you can speak on it quite a bit. Yeah, I'll be able to 
to chip in a few uh, a few lines here and there. That's for sure. I try to prepare for that one. Um, and if you have a if you have some comments you would like us to read about uh, about Mass Effect one, I gotta imagine a few of you out there have played it. It was pretty popular. It still is. Uh, by all means, you can uh, go onto our forums and write on our threads. You can um, you can do that at rpgamer.com. Hit the forum link on the left. You can shoot me off uh, shoot us off an email. I'm JC Servant rpgamer.com. Mr. Minky, of course, is. Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. He is. Wait, you're Ju- JC Servant at Hotmail? I thought it was Cyberlight Comics. Oh, Cyberlight Comics, yeah. You're Hotmail. See, it is getting late. Uh, <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> I'm JC. Yeah, I'm JC Servant, and Mike is Jew Mason. Um, and then, if you're while you're over there looking at our forums at RP Gamer, you might want to check out all of our cool articles, reviews, etc., etc. We've got a review on Grincia. And that's got some very interesting reactions. I can't believe that is up to 25 reactions so far. Um, if you wow, were paying attention to our very own Miss Marcello's struggle through that game, you will not be surprised what she has to say about it. And we got we got some more E3 articles that we've gotten up over the last few days. We got screenshots. We've got oh, just a bucket load of stuff. A review for Mind that Mind You. Yeah. Mind zero. Mind zero. Oh, yeah, the zero's kind of there. Yeah, that's... So, so much that. Uh, review of the uh, new Van Helsing game. My wife loved the first one. Find out that the second one lives up to the original's fun times. And, uh, yeah, so head on over there. Mr... Oh, yeah, forum comments. Haha, almost forgot. We had lots of uh, lots of uh, comments, uh, both on our thread, and then we kind of got into a little bit on the RPG Cast thread. RPG Cast is our sister podcast, where they usually talk about more current events, whereas we're living in the past because that's what we do here at the RPG Backtrack. But um, I thought what was kind of interesting was, uh, as you might remember, in the last show, if you've already listened to that one, we talked about it, a lot. it was Diablo, right? And or, uh, or in the case of the third game, Diablo, Diablo, Diablo. So. Uh, you might remember Ocelot or Becky talking about her experiences of playing a kind of the rogue in the first one and how she would steal other people's loot as it fell to the ground. And they were friends. So it was all, you know, it was kind of all in jest and we were all having a good time talking about it. But, uh, one of our moderators, uh, chicken of God kind of reminded her of a story, him or her. Is that chicken God? Is that a man? I can never I tell with our forum man, posters. I'm not really... Yeah. can never tell with our posters. Anywho, um, I thought it was an interesting story. I, I, you know, I was going to read it, but we really don't have that much time. So I'll encourage you to go over the forums and check out uh, his or her. It's wow story about playing a rogue and being accused of, of uh, ninja looting. And uh, ninja looting. That's terrible mechanic from everything. Yeah. Yeah. And how that basically ended up being a super, super negative experience. Um, and, and, just basically soured them against WoW for the rest of their lives. So, very interesting story, though, especially if you're like me and you played your fair share of WoW. Um, very interesting. Anywho, well, we're glad nowadays it's almost kind of worked out with the whole, you can only roll on it if it's your class, you know, you can only roll need on it if you're class type of thing. But uh, even then, occasionally you still get accused of ninja loot with those uh, systems in place. Uh Balance, uh, balance, uh, put in some comments about the trade off between the online and offline modes that we talked about ad nauseum when we got to, uh, Diablo 3. So, uh, he's in favor of the offline as client server lag disconnection issues take away from the game. And I can't agree more. He says, regardless of hardcore mode, uh, and, you know, without hard code, yeah, it is still irritating. It just doesn't sting as bad because if you die in Diablo, you just, 
you can quickly go back to where you were at before and there's no real big loss there. Eh, that's the only thing about Diablo, I guess, or at least Diablo 3, is that death isn't super scary for the most part. It's just It just kind of sets you back a little. Um, Balance also says he loved the mention of the Eye of the Beholder stuff. Did we ever do a backtrack on Eye of the Beholder, Mike? Not dedicated to it in particular. Hmm. I, guess, I guess we could. If there's enough interest and we have enough staff members who who played it, uh, I don't think I'm going to go back and play it. Uh, I'd have to pull out like a Super Nintendo version or something. I don't have a PC version. would work. Uh, not unless GOG can find a way to get through the licensing issues and re-release it, which would be very... If it did, if they did, I'd snatch it up. So, yeah. very uh, Some very good comments. You can go over to board.rpgamer.com as well and leave your comments. And if you uh, check out the forum thread about RPG Cast episode 310... You will see that I called our uh, my counterpart at RPG Cast. I called him out on the carpet, and uh, there was some interesting discussion back and forth. So I won't read it all. I'll just let you all go and check it out for yourself. So, Mister Minky, or Mister, well, let's just start with Mister Nathan. Mister Nathan, what you doing lately, bud? Um, well, basically, I've been playing Fall Fantasy game. Either I'm still caught up in Fall Fantasy 14. I'm on my sixth paid month of playing it. Probably less quickly into seventh patch 2.3 coming out. And I'm still doing. I'm still way behind on content and doing my best to keep up because I don't know. I'm terrible playing the game. I guess. Yeah, well, you're way ahead of me. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of one of those people that kind of lollygog around and just kind of level up different classes and try to make money. And I I never do a really great job of, like, focusing on a main quest and leveling up to max level and getting to the end game content. Keep sticking on this main quest. It's pretty fun to get it done if I do the cool stuff, so. Hmm. Have you, you, uh, and you said other Final Fantasies? Yeah, and I've also, well, the Final Fantasy V Four Job Fiesta started this year, and I've been playing that currently world two move forest what's what's the fiesta is that the final fantasy i believe i've talked about this once before a while back but it's basically a special basically someone on the internet has organized a special campaign for people to gather together and basically he's created a random generator to generate four random jobs one for each of the four crystals so each player can just play with just those four jobs and basically Running through Twitter via a bot program to help assign these jobs to people, and uh, even running a kind of side charity program to give money to various gaming charities like Child's Play. Hmm. Interesting. And it's a big thing which attracted hundreds of players. It's pretty cool and fun because it's you know it's a very fun way to play through a very good Final Fantasy game because you know Final Fantasy Five is a game with a lot of options, but these options only really shine when you're forced to stick with a limited number of them, and that's what it does. It's an interesting challenge, that, you know, a lot of fun. I mean, right now I'm playing through the game with only, let's see here, a knight, a red mage, knight, red mage, geomancer, and samurai. Those are my four jobs. I can only use those. I have to always have one person in each. And it's, well, it's tricky. I don't have a healer. The red mage is basically a giant iron ball attached to my ink for the whole length of the game. Well, it's good in the early game, but really bad by the end game. And Knight is always awesome. Samurai is going to get better as soon as I get away to instant kill every enemy at once. That's a long way off because I have the two most expensive jobs to build up, which means a little bit of grinding, but hey, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a fun way to play my favorite Fall Fantasy game, so I've been enjoying Hmm, spiffy. So seriously, it's ongoing right now, so go. There's like a great NeoGAF thread on it, on it if you can find it. I encourage people to go take a look and give it a try. Fair enough. Um, how about you, how about you, Mister Mike? Well, I just saw that Eli Wallach died like 
literally two minutes ago. I can't be. It's not exactly untimely. The guy was ninety-eight, but I really liked his acting. Okay. Um, yeah. If you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, then you've seen an Eli Wallach movie. He was the ugly. Um, let's see. I actually finished the main plot of Etrian Odyssey Untold, the Millennium Girl. So I'm going to have to come up with a review of that soon enough. It will be. It will be favorable. Etrian Odyssey is always good. I mean, I had I had a blast with this thing, and I might poke around to see what else there is after I reload from the completed game. Yeah, and they, like just today they started hinting that they might be making a, a remake of the second game. Kind of neat. Yeah, I saw that. I'll I'll keep apprised of it, of course. But these these stupid teaser sites, frankly, annoy me because all they seem <laughs> to do is get people hot and bothered for without any concrete information yet. Hey, I don't know. New Etrian Odyssey is good enough for me. I love the series. I'll take it for sure. And, hell, I haven't played two, so this would be a good way to see sort of what it's about. Yeah, same although, here. Although if it's, it's as changed as Untold apparently is from the first game, then it won't give me a good idea what two is like. <laughs> I'm also playing Suicoden 5. I haven't necessarily gotten that much further since the last time we recorded, but I did just get, what is her name, Lucretia, my tactician. Lucretia, it's an overpowered tactician. I'm wondering when Lecknot is going to get off her mystical butt and give me a mission, because <laughs> I'm already gathering people for my army, and she hasn't yet come along to tell me that I'm one of the that I'm supposed to be gathering stars of destiny. This seems unlike her. It shouldn't be too long now, I think. I can't remember. It's, uh, I've played that game a while ago. I mean, I played through it twice and sunk a lot of time into it, but I can't remember exactly when you get the, the tablet. It's kind of interesting giving you the tablet, though, since the person who comes with it's quite interesting. Yeah, because it's probably not the guy who came with it in the first two games. Hmm. Uh. Yeah, in the near future, I will have the opportunity to sound off on Spicoden 5 at greater length, and so will you, Nathan. Yes, I'll enjoy that very much. But right now, all I can say is the story is quite intriguing. The load times are not as bad as I initially thought, but they are still annoying because this is a game that came out in 2006 and I have to sit through load times frequently. And I guess I'm still in the introduction since Lecknot hasn't given me the tablet yet, which means that I've sunk 13 hours into it and it's not done with the introduction. That is astounding. Yeah, if you're 13 hours in, you're barely begun. Also that I seemingly don't yet know fully what I'm doing in the army battles, but I've won both of them so far, so good for me, I guess. Yeah, it's like Ogre Battle, except, well, not as stressful. Um, well, you know what, I'll mention a movie that I saw as a kid that, as I see it now, is much more problematic. It's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. (laughs) Which is distinct from the original Gojira, because this is the movie that had a lot of stuff edited out for American release, and then Raymond Burr, playing a character named Steve Martin, was edited into the footage, and that's what we got over here for a long, long time. And seeing it now, I can't help but find it hilariously incompetent that a few of the Japanese actors have lookalikes who never face the camera so that they can be in the same frame as Raymond Burr is talking to them, and then it cuts back to the Japanese footage where what they say, of course, has absolutely nothing to do with their lip movements because it's hard to dub Japanese and make it look right in English. And at the very least, it's a very interesting import job because most of the time people would just slap a dub on it and call it good. But there were a few movies like this in the 50s and 60s where American producers would 
add extra stuff and cut out a bunch of the original Japanese and make it some weird hybrid thing. So it's I've seen the original Gojira several times now. It's much better than this version, but this version is still interesting. Um, and it's I really, really enjoyed... I still think this would segue into talking more about the more recent Godzilla, but... I guess... Well, we could. I, I most assuredly saw it. Yeah, so have I. I've watched so many Godzilla movies, I had to watch it. But... <laughs> and it pleasantly surprised it... me, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, don't necessarily get attached to any big cast members just because they have a big marquee name. Not everybody will last through the whole movie. And... I gotta say, the way Godzilla takes out that second Muto was pretty darn cool. Pretty darn brutal. Well, you don't, you, you shouldn't mess with Godzilla unless you're prepared for the consequences. Never mess with Godzilla. Yeah, nobody is prepared for the consequences, really. No, <laughs> no, they're not. Well, okay, maybe Mothra is, but who knows how? Yeah, and some of the time Mothra fights alongside Godzilla, and sometimes he doesn't. Continuity in the Godzilla movies right. is something that no one seriously tries to keep straight. For good reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I did find it laughable that somebody said, if you let off a nuclear device in San Francisco, it's only going to kill about 100,000 people. But That, that would seem to know, be a little small, small <laughs> little short estimate there. I think the size they mentioned was 40 megatons, something like that. Yeah, that, that'll only kill 100,000 people if you blow it up in San Francisco. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> I also noticed one shot where some office workers in San Francisco apparently didn't get the memo that Godzilla is in town fighting some other monsters, so they were still around to watch as the monster came and shattered all the windows. But you know what? You just have to accept that there will be some stupid people who do not understand what it means when a giant monster comes to town. The Japanese have been dealing with this for decades. Americans just need to understand it. And, yeah, it it delivered a Godzilla movie which we did not get from that earlier American Godzilla movie, which you probably also remember, right, Nathan? Yeah, that that was not a good Godzilla movie. That was... Half of that was a Jurassic Park ripoff. Yeah, that was basically Jurassic Park 2.5 or something. Maybe 3.5. Yeah, because Jurassic Park did it better. So did The Lost World come to that, and that's saying something. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that's enough for now. Do you have anything you want to add, Phil? We are getting kind of late here. Well, like Mr. Uh, Nathan, I've been, as I mentioned, been mentioning for quite a few weeks now. I'm continuing my foray into Final Fantasy V and enjoy, uh, enjoying uh, going through some of the, I'm hoping, are the in-game dungeons. I haven't really read too far into any FAQs to see how close I am to the end, but I am mastering jobs. So that's, <laughs> that's a good sign, right? Uh, yeah. I have to. I do have to go to my friends. I do have one friend in particular at work who's an absolute Final Fantasy nut. So he's a great point of reference. And I'm like, well, I mastered a job. What does that mean now? What, what does that do for? Me? And he's he's able to explain that to me. So that's very helpful. Um, yeah, well, if you need help, I can always explain anything. I can tell you all the ways to cheat your way through the final battle. Yay, cheating! Um, well, yeah. it's not. It's, is it cheating if if it's within the game's actual rules? Hey, if it's bug exploiting, then yeah. It's oh, okay. <laughs> So um, yeah, been uh, been doing okay. I got uh, I I one of my guys is a barbarian. I, I made him barbarian here at the end game with the rune axe of kick ass from the artifact center that has like twelve weapons in it. So he just his whole purpose in life is just to do four thousand points of damage. You know, every time he's up, mm-hmm. that's all he does. Put a hay spell on him, he's happy. Uh, then I got this. Give a good secondary ability. It still matters for even. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to consider that since I think, uh, well, he was, I mean, in the past I was using him kind of as a knight and a spell sword or whatever they're called, rune, rune knights, and that, that was, yeah, yeah, and he was doing pretty good with that, but damn, he just does so much damage, you know, just whacking people every round, I just haven't even, you know, I've just been watching him have fun, I figured I might have to go back to something more defensive, yeah, you know. Well, Berserker is the single worst class in that game, so. But he's having so much fun. He's so happy. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't do much else though. And uh, and then I had one the the person underneath of him. I was using her as like the diff other melee classes throughout the whole game, but using um uh barefisted as her second has her backup ability mm -hmm. and she never needed weapons throughout the entire game i just had her kicking a ton of ass with barefisted but lately i've been having her ninjing with two weapons and, mm -hmm. and that seems to be getting better results than barefisted yeah, um barehanded attacks kind of run out of steam towards the, end of the game unless you equip a success right and then um and then the other two have been my casters so i've been working on various caster classes and right now i got one of them just playing red mage hoping one day i'll actually be able to max that out because I've heard good yeah. things about maxing out Red Mage. Red Mage, it's such an investment. It drives me bonkers being stuck with it in the Forge Hob Fiesta. Uh, it is, he's like around three, 400 uh, job points out of what, 999? Yay. Yeah, 999 that last ability. Just, what do you so. get usually? Th two or three a battle, if I remember right? Uh, yeah. I'm now picking up like so, okay, basically, more. Yeah, basically, you can estimate across the entire length of the game that you'll, each character will get about 2,500 as a reasonable estimate. That's counting the biggest jump. You'll get a fifth of that in one dungeon towards the end. Yeah, I'm getting more than two than three now, but, but not a whole lot more, like four or five. There's this stupid-ass birds that soak up a ton of hit points I'm getting seven from, but man, yeah, they but, take forever to take down. Yeah, they can. So it's kind of a trade-off of, yeah, there are more job points, but they're taking more time on the clock. So I, I don't know how fair of a trade that is. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I mean, the, the combats have gotten tougher and stuff, so I do have to pay attention rationing the magic points uh, in the dungeons because you don't know where the next save point's at. Uh, you know, all that. That's that's classic Final Fantasy. And, jeez, uh, Mike, did I talk about did I talk about Dragon Quest last time? You talked about the first one, but you've moved on to the second one, I understand. And then yeah. you didn't talk about the ending of the first one, the, the grandiose sweeping closure to its enormously influential and hard-to-summarize story. There, there are so many things going on in Dragon Quest One story that we can't do it justice. Yeah, I think if we ever did a Dragon Quest backtrack, or did we do one before, we just need to... Have we done one before? Yes, we have. Gosh, it's bad. If we do another one, we'll have to we'll have to set aside four hours just for the the plot of Dragon Quest because it's just it's we just that did Dragon Quest one though. <laughs> how how, how far did we get on it, Mike? How far are we in the series? <laughs> well, did we get through all remember, of them, Nathan? I think we we, we were able one, to justify. I think we got through three. We did one, two, and three, and then we did a second one with four, five, and six. And I kept waiting to see if seven would become available in a more easily played format and it looks like it's not that is not going to be granted to us so thanks a lot everyone who has refused to get the dragon you better be working on some secret square next seriously well didn't they didn't I, they just trademark it or patent it or something like that what's it called where did we see it at some um drag any srb rating for it or something along those lines lately for seven i thought i read something it was already somewhere. srb rated back on the ps1 i thought 
Yeah, yeah. I thought I heard some new news though that gave us that gave us some light. I'll have to Google it real fast, but I thought there was some light that we might be seeing it. Uh, and like you said, in a more affordable format would be really great. Um, shoot, because yeah, that's just. Uh, uh, let's see here. Well, I'll continue to look. I, would, I just know I would much prefer to play this on the 3DS than have to sec- sink at least 80 hours onto the PS1. Yeah, yeah that's... I the 3DS version does some enhancement more playable. That's what I've heard, too. I, I think Gaijin has talked about it. Yeah, that's that's the hard Stupid part. Stupid just... region lock. Why did you do that, Nintendo? Put the region lock on the 3DS. I hate you. That would be the hard part of sitting sitting down and playing an old fashioned Dragon Quest at a television. I guess would be a little bit harder, especially one that that, that is that long. Uh, boy, I I played seven when I first got it for like five, six, seven hours, and I I was like, okay, I need a fact. I just couldn't even get past the first little puzzly dungeon with no fights. I needed a fact just to get past that crap. Uh, I'm that bad. Anywho, um, but it that that's a massive game. Uh, one. Not that massive. Uh, I boy, <laughs> you know, especially well, you could have played the original NES version. It would have taken you longer. It certainly would have because the the XP in the original one was definitely uh, harder to come by. So I played the SNES Japanese version and using um, where where the XP is all, roughly twice from what I understand of what you normally get in the NES version. And I used a fact. I mean, back in the days on the NES with these role-playing games, a lot of your time was spent trying to figure out what the bleep to do next. Um, and it's no small... Yeah, that's why I really appreciate how the original NES version of Dragon Quest you know, gave you a full, basically a full walkthrough in its manual. It's nice. Oh, it did? Well, no wonder. Yeah. I, was, I was like... See, what? Nathan, Phil was playing the Super Nintendo version of it. Ah, or, well, or, you missed or precisely the, the Super Famicom. Yeah. Yeah, with it, with it, instead of the guide that came with it, I was just using a, a fact to. Um, I, I I started off not using the fact, but it wasn't that long. I, I try to get by without FAQs whenever possible, but it wasn't very long before I was scratching my head. I'd even done some exploring, and I re- you know I realized that no matter if I went to the east or to the west, and I was thinking. I was thinking if I go to the east or west far enough from the castle, I'm going to hit higher level monsters, which I did. I was figuring that a la Final Fantasy, that if I went the wrong direction, the monster levels would jump so high that I, you know, I would I would know that that's not the way I'm supposed to go yet. But I found out that whether I went to the east or to the west, they jumped up at roughly the same rate. So it wasn't very <laughs> helpful and helped me to direct me to the next dungeon. So talk to townspeople yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it's a little non-linear, actually. Yeah, it actually, you know, that for uh, for the very one of the very first, if not the first console RPG out there, it, it actually kind of did have that open-ended, uh, more of an open-ended feel to it. Uh, talking to the townspeople gives you some somewhat vague clues that uh, in retrospect, once you realize what the solutions are and where you need to go next, you can kind of see you know how those clues fit in. But uh, you know, approaching it with a fresh mind, especially a more modern gaming mind, thirty years later, yeah, those clues weren't very helpful. So yeah, FAQ. I thank thank you, people who write FAQs. God bless you. Uh, it's probably a thankless job, uh, but. Uh, yeah, that's how I got through the game was FAQ. But uh, and then just you know grinding, uh, not too much on the Super Nintendo version, but you still have to do some grinding. That final boss is so cheap ass too. Oh, sleep you! Oh, now I hit you three times in a row. Ha ha! You're dead. Ha! 
Uh, bye bye half your gold. <laughs> yeah, blood second. Anyways, now I'm playing the second. I'm playing the second one. Where I, actually, I'm sensing some some buried feelings here. I I I could see myself getting very pissed with that back in the '80s, where there was no such thing as save states. Hell, there wasn't even a save point before the big boss back in those you know Dragon Warrior games. They're not like uh like Final Fantasy V. Right before you fight a boss, there's a save point right there, just in case you wipe. Uh, yeah, you need to be a little careful with that in the final dungeon of Fantasy V. It's a trick to that, but still, always there. Uh, I, wait, wait, no, I don't want. Uh, but uh, I'll probably call you up later though if I get pissed. Uh, <laughs> final <laughs> dungeon of Five, I remember, has that great boss gauntlet of interesting things to kill. Yeah, amazing boss gauntlet. You know, I guess I'll just tell you right now. You need to kill bosses to open up safe. Oh, okay. Well, it's uh, it sounds like fun. Oh, and uh, don't just don't try and fight Omega Weapon. Don't yeah, fight. just if it's, you see something walking out of the forest, just stay away <laughs> and don't open that last treasure chest. Just don't. You you will see it, by the way. You have to go through that area, so uh, stay away. From it. it will kill you. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Ome- Omega is not to be trifled with. Yeah, it lives up to its name. Oh, jeez. Oh, so they did. A, oh, they did a 3DS remake in Japan. Uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, this year, uh, no, last year. Uh, so we can only cross our fingers. Uh, last year, this year. Dragon Quest Seven, you mean? Dragon Quest Seven, yes, that's a V I I Seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did I, did I not say set my eyes? My eyes hurt now at this point. Kind of said Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, okay, Dragon Quest Seven. Yeah, 7. I was wondering how we missed that. <laughs> Pretty big news item there. So that you, you'd was... think that would have spawned lots of people to come back to the forums after years <laughs> away and go that the game. This is the greatest game ever, and this remake is completely unnecessary, man. You don't need a remake. Listen to this. Getting lost in the original game was all part of the fun. However, the team pointed out that the audience has changed a little since then. Now, wait, wait. The original Dragon Warrior 7 came out in, what, 2003-ish or so? 2000, I think it came out in Japan in 2000. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. No, let me tell you something. Not, not long before the PS2 was out. Let me tell you something, developers. We haven't enjoyed getting lost in our role-playing game since 1985. Stop it. Bad, bad developers. <laughs> Gosh, I, I like it when like it's hidden. Like if there's like a weapon to beat Omega weapon, that's hidden and that's behind some vague language that the the people. That's awesome, but not required to get through the freaking main story of the game. Yes. Anyway, um, back to Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Warrior Two. So yeah, I, I started playing. I got my three characters because you have to kind of go on a little bit before you pick up the other two characters. Uh, you start off with the main main character who uh, is more like a warrior guy, and he's the. Uh, great 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 grandson or whatever of the warrior you played in the first one and i'm finding that continuity kind of interesting um and uh and then you got to pick up two other descendants um princes or princesses or whatever the hell they are and uh one of them feels like a kind of a cleric kind of like a warrior mage and the last one the chick feels like a full-on i haven't leveled them up enough yet to see what kind of spell sets they have uh they both have heal but she has heal more but he has i think he has blaze or sleep and she has inferno which affects more than so it's pretty cool having fights with like more than one monster haha improvement hey what came out first guys since you're so smart uh what came out first uh dragon warrior 2 in japan or final fantasy 1 in japan they came out roughly the same time hmm. i think i think dragon quest 2 came dragon out slightly quest before yes yeah, slightly before pretty close which one is considered the bigger success uh at the time, probably Dragon Quest too, but I'm not certain. Interesting. They've both did well enough to keep going their series for a long time. So sure, sure. Well, in the long run, 
Which one would you rather play, Nathan? Um, honestly, I'd probably I'd like them about, I'd like them about the same. How about you, Mike? Interesting niche for retro. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm probably with Nathan on this one. Mm. I I find good things in both of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think they're both games I more or less okay. enjoy. It's, it's very sport. Yeah, Dragon Quest Two seems to have come out January twenty sixth, eighty seven in Japan, which means it. I think Final Fantasy One came out later that year. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to Dragon Warrior Three because I hear that one's got the job changing system. Hmm. Well, sort of. It's a very different version than we normally think of as job changing. Yeah, it's not like you can keep switching jobs left and right like in Five uh, Final Fantasy. Now, but uh, it reminds me a little bit of Dungeon Dragons, where generally in Dungeon Dragons, if you change a job or you do a job or whatever, it's like a one-time thing, and it kind of defines you. You know, but I'm interested to see what that looked like back on NES era type of game. Should we be sad that we'll probably never get to play Dragon Quest X? Nah, I, you know, I'm so in. I mean, I do want to play Dragon Quest X. That's Nate. Go for it. I'm playing Final yeah, Fantasy XIV. It sucked me in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Final Fantasy has been dragging me in, but it's like, I also kind of want to try that. I'd love it if, you know, Square would actually offer something like what Sony used to do with it. uh, its online games, and let you just pay one fee to, you know, play all of them, like bring over 10, and let me play one fee to play Dragon Quest Ten, Fantasy XI, and Fantasy XIV, so you can play them all. But, you know, that might be too much to hope for. In the current market, probably. So I'm doing uh, – so yeah, so I'm working my way through 2 and I'm doing uh, I'm doing some blogging with it. I took a lot of screenshots of 1 and I'm doing some screenshots of 2 and this weekend I'm going to sit down and put together kind of just like a one-page here was my adventure through Dragon Warrior 1 you know, type of thing. And I said I've already uploaded them on Facebook and I'm going to start doing the same thing with 2. So I can go back later on when I'm going to look back and say, yeah, I remember – I'm so, I have such a bad memory when it comes to the details. You guys remember so so I want to have like a journal of uh, doing some of that stuff. Um and uh and I posted a I posted on the forums, not that anybody responded because everyone's thing, which is cool. But if anyone wants to uh you know, I, I mentioned this last week, but I, the reason why I started playing Dragon Warrior is because in playing Final Fantasy V, I realized that while I have a lot of experience playing role playing games, there's a lot of holes in my history. I hadn't played five before, which is just dastardly when you think about it. Um, it's it's like, a great game. It's a great game, and so I'm like, gosh, how many other great games I missed? Well, when I look at my Dragon Warrior experience, I've beaten four, I've touched seven, and that's about it. And I'm like, oh, that's another great series. Jay, you okay, you seriously need to play eight and nine, then. Yeah. Well, oh no, no. I'm sorry. I have played uh, both of. I'm sorry. I was thinking just the older ones, but yes, eight and nine. I played. Um, I haven't beaten either one, but I've spent a lot of hours in eight. I just for some reason I got distracted, and so I'm just needed. Yeah, they are kind of long games, so I kind of. Yeah, yeah, but I need to just sit down, play them, journal them, so I actually remember them later on, so that as we continue to do backtracks, or I'm just running into people and we're talking about it, I can speak more intelligently on some of these some of these classic series. Um, whether I skipped over them or I didn't finish them or whatever the deal is, so I'm starting off with the Dragon Warrior series, and I'm just gonna straight shoot through those. Um, as much as you can because they are long games, and and then uh, and then uh, start working on some Final Fantasy stuff. So, whew. interesting, interesting. Anywho, I think that's about it for us. It's getting late, so uh, let's wrap this up with all that leads talk. 
thank you both for being on the show. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com forward slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer. As always, you can listen to our previous podcasts as well as our other shows, the or the other podcasts, the RPG cast and Active Topical Banter. They just posted up a new one, by the way. You'll want to go and check that out about buzzwords. You can find all of that and so much more by the people for the people who love RPGs all at rpgamer.com Mr. Minky put us to bed our podcast is no longer a lad and I think it has grown up to be a man good night good night